Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Oh boy, oh boy. We already have gotten more chatter and comments and tweets and controversy just announcing this guest than we've ever had from an episode before. I'm excited to have him on, but I want to just be clear to everybody listening. Here's how this interview is going to go. We do what we do, which is we went down memory lane with this gentleman to understand how he arrived at Indiana University, what his experience was like being a player at Indiana University, and then what was his experience like being a coach. We would be doing a disservice if we did anything else. When Look, we've had a lot of players that were here for four years that we talked to, but this guy had then 12 more under Coach Knight. Like, that is a treasure trove of Indiana University experience and memories. We're not going to ignore that. We are not. So we do that. And then I know everybody listening wants to know, do you call him out for some of the controversial stuff? The back half of this interview, we get into that. But I want to be clear about something. We love Indiana University. We love players that represented Indiana University well. We love coaches that represented Indiana University well. And we want to talk to them about their experience. So let's just get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we got a doozy for you today. Eric, you want to tell them the gentleman who's on the line with us? Yes, I do. Folks, we have an individual who played for four years for Indiana University basketball from 1981 to 1985, the last two years of which he was the captain of the team. He's a Big Ten champion. He went on to be the assistant coach for Indiana University for 12 more seasons. He returned to Indiana about a decade later. As assistant coach at Indiana, he won a national championship, our last national championship. He won several Big Ten titles. Since his coaching career ended, he has gone on to launch one of the most successful sports radio programs in the country. In fact, voted by Barrett Sports Media as the best midday radio program in mid-markets. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dan Dockich. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. I was getting ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll pump that in later. 
yeah, look at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, thanks for having me on, fellas. My oh, pleasure. Please, it, it is uh, the honor is all all ours. And coach, I want to start off by we usually ask people that have kind of typical uh, well-known nicknames if we can call them by their nickname you have of course doc as a nickname but I only refer to you as coach and I want to explain if you will indulge me for a second why that is because I have a personal story so I uh, was a kid growing up in St. Louis my dad uh, is from Gary and East Chicago, Indiana. He attended uh, Wirt High School several years before you in the region. But uh, I grew up a big-time Indiana University basketball fan, and I was going to go to Indiana University no matter what. And as a kid, I went to Bob Knight's basketball camps in Bloomington in the late 80s, early 90s. I had never been away from home. I was in fourth grade at the time. My dad drove me to Bloomington, left me there, and I was a mess. I mean, I, I know it was only like five days, but I cried like a baby. I couldn't deal with it. I didn't know what was going on. I was sleeping in a dorm. I was terrified. And after night one of just not sleeping and crying, I walk out of my dorm room and wandering around the hall, getting people ready to go to breakfast, was one assistant coach, Dan Dockich saw me crying like a baby, put his arm around me, walked me to the, uh, re the, the mess hall for uh, the cafeteria for breakfast, had me sit with him for breakfast, and from that moment on, talked to me, was patting my back, telling me how great things were, never once like made me feel bad about crying, but just kind of put his arm around me and said, everything's going to be okay. I went to Bobby Knight's basketball camp for five more years after that, hmm. uh, and it turned out to be an unbelievable experience. And no matter what anyone says about Coach Dan Dockich, one, he will always be coached to me and always have a special place in my heart because of that moment and what you did for a snotty little kid from St. Louis, Missouri, who was terrified of sleeping away from home. <laughs> so thank you, Coach. I've been waiting years and years to tell you that story. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story. You know, the reason I did that with kids was because I, I hate to admit this, and I don't think I've ever admitted it. I was you. Like, I didn't like to be dropped off. I didn't. I remember going to camp and kind of falling down. And this wasn't a basketball camp. This is like one of those nature camps. Mm -hmm. And uh, hell, I was crying. And the actually, the hot counselor gave me a big hug and let me sit with her. And all my all my buddies were jealous. And I was a little bit like Squints in uh, uh, in Sandlot, yes. right? Because, you know, with Wendy Peppercorn, I'm like, you know, all right. But, uh, you know, I, I was that kid, too. I, hey, look, I didn't I didn't like going away from home. I didn't like being at – I went to camps, and it took me two days, you know. So I really appreciate you sharing that story, and, and thank you for that. And I call book coach, too. It's interesting. I went to my – my high school coach's uh, father passed away yesterday, and I went mm. to his wake, and my wife and I did, and I saw a guy who coached me as a uh, JV player, and I said, hey, coach, how you doing? He looks at me, he goes, coach, I've been a coach for 40 years. <laughs> I go, well, I don't know, you coached me, so you're right. coach, man. So anyway, it is one of the, the coach-player relationship is a it's a complicated one many times but it, it's a, it's a unique one because like you said once you have a coach i mean my high school coach i played basketball in high school in st louis if i saw him 
you know, I'm in my 40s, and if I saw him, he would only be coach. I mean, that's it. He's never going to not be coach. You know, it's funny. Me, I did a basketball camp in my hometown for uh, 24 years, and uh, my high school coach, Coach Dan Rogovich, had a nickname. Everybody called him Rogie. And even some of my high school teammates called him Rogie, and kids, my brother was two years older, and guys that played, everybody called I couldn't call him Rogie. I'd never one time could call Coach Rogovich anything but Coach. Hey, Coach, how you doing, man? What's up, Coach? Um, it's just, it's, it, it is. It's an odd deal, uh, but a cool deal. So For sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you growing sure. up there in the region. How did you come to love the game of basketball? How did you discover that and, and figure out you were pretty good at it? You know, um, I lived in a neighborhood where – the next, the, the empty lot was next to my house. We really didn't play basketball, and older kids would let me play. Uh, my brother was a couple years older, but Joey and Bobby Mullen were the two older kids. They were probably three or four years older than my brother, and we would line up literally against our our family's wall and you know pick teams. And I was usually one of the last ones because I was the youngest one. And Bobby uh, and Joey and Joe Zaredich and these these guys that were the oldest guys in the world to me let me play and. Uh, basketball, my dad, we, we had a neighborhood team called Mr. Alley's Hot Dogs that played in Merrillville in a, in, a, in a little league, and I was too young, and I cried like hell because I wanted to play. And my dad, after the first game, I still remember watching all my buddies, my brother, because they were older, they were all playing. I'm crying. I got to play. I want to play. And um, my dad went right after the game and lied to the head of uh, the league and said, hey, you know, my son is 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 – nine i was like seven because you know <laughs> so we uh we did not win a game mr pluchinski was our coach we we didn't win a game and uh but true story my mother and i won't bore you with all this stuff but fast forward and i wanted a basket we had a little we had a driveway that kind of curved and it, it was flat at the top it wasn't very big like a corner jump shot was literally four feet maybe each side but I begged my parents to put a basket up and my parents said, well, you will never play on it. You'll never, you know, you, you, you're going to go play baseball or, or football or whatever you guys are playing. And finally my dad had a shop class, put it up and I'll never forget coming home and seeing this basket at my house. I got off the bus, got, went and grabbed the ball cause I wanted to be the first one to score on it. And quite frankly, um, that became the most important a uh, piece of property in my life. I, I literally, I was very shy and actually in most instances still am. I didn't like going to places. I didn't like, you know, whatever normal kids do. I didn't like doing it. I just like kind of hanging by myself, turning WLS on in Chicago, 890 and uh, listening to music and shooting jump shots and dreaming of beating Gary Roosevelt. So <laughs> that was it. And, 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 how many how many times did you beat Gary Roosevelt? Every single time. And if we didn't, then you know, and all, all these older guys. There's a kid that played for the Bulls named uh, Wallace Bryan, and I, I, you know, I hit. He was seven foot. I hit floaters over him in my in my in my mind, you know. And um, but that's what you know. To me, that's that was that was heaven to me. Just you know, my mother always said I had to come in at ten o'clock. Um, and I couldn't start shooting or jacking around until uh, until nine o'clock in the morning. So you know, so if if I was at home, I would either you know be on that court. And, and then as you get older, you know, you go play other places and you and you do all that kind of stuff. And um, but uh, 
But man, that little, I'll never forget. I can still remember the day my dad went and lied to get me on Mr. Ellie's hot dogs <laughs> and uh, the day that ba- that basket was up in my driveway. For those that know you mostly in your post-basketball career as a radio host, give us a little sense of, give them a little sense of what kind of basketball player you were. Did you pattern your game after somebody? Was there someone you wanted to emulate? How'd you play the game? Um, when I was growing up, I just wanted to score. I'm Bob Love, who was a, a great guard for, or a forward for the Chicago Bulls, wore number 10. So I loved Bob Love. And, and because he scored, I had no interest. I mean, I'd guard and do all those things. But in my mind, I knew exactly how many points that I scored. And when I, um, you know, I just knew that was my thing. I liked doing that. I thought, I always thought if you're going to play basketball, the most fun is putting the ball in the basket. So, um, so through high school, you know, I averaged about 24, 25. We were a little small school, but we made the uh, the state finals. My teammate Jimmy Bullock became an all-Big Ten, Ten player at Purdue, and I went to Indiana, and then we had a couple other kids go to smaller schools. So we had a really good, really good group. Most fun time of my life was my junior year in high school playing with a bunch of guys that were, you know, just great dudes. And uh, But like Coach Knight or uh, Coach Cruz came to see me, and I had 30 at halftime of a game. And, you know, I I just like to score. And, and, and when I went to college, I realized after about two practices, holy hell, this ain't going to be the same kind of way. I better figure out <laughs> – I better figure out passing to, you know, Randy Whitman and Ted Kitzel, and I better figure out, you know, what a defensive stance is. So, <laughs> uh, Now, did you have any love for Indiana before you went there, or were you more uh, objective in your um, process about where you were going to play? You know, when you, you know, your family's from northwest Indiana, so in those days I, I loved DePaul. It was Mark Aguirre and sure. Skip Dillard and Teddy Grubbs and Terry Cummings and all these guys. And and Notre Dame was there. But I remember, you know, you either loved Notre Dame or you didn't like Notre Dame. Purdue was close. We used to go to Purdue basketball camp. Um, but Indiana was, was you know, winning national championships, 70, you know, five and six and going to the final four. And But, like, to me – um, nobody from my high school had ever gotten a basketball scholarship to a big school. Nobody from my, we, they'd only won one sectional in the history of the school. So this wasn't like, you know, any kind of factory. So it wasn't like I could say, okay, I'm going to do what so-and-so did, you know, from our school. Um, but the truth of the matter is my recruitment was very easy. Um, Coach Knight, who I knew a lot about, I mean, hell, but you know, it was like, there's schools and then there's Indiana way out here. Um, after I had a big game against, you know, 49 and 30 at half crews, uh, I'll never forget. I came home. We always used to go to the McDonald's on Broadway and Gary. And, you know, I came home and my dad's like, hey, God dang, you know, you broke the school record, right? I said, yeah. He said, you want the good news? And I said, good news? I said, yeah. He goes, well, Indiana was there. And uh, they want us to come down to the Ohio State Big Ten Championship game. It was this was in nineteen um, nineteen eighty, my junior year. So I don't know nothing about recruiting. I don't know anything. I've never been in Assembly Hall. We go with Bob Hamill's brother Jim, who was a high school coach. My dad, myself, my brother, a couple other kids, and we go down to the game. And um, 
Indiana wins an unbelievable game. Like, I've never been in Assembly Hall, and I walk in, and it is red, and it is rocking, and Butch Carter makes two free throws, basically, to win the Big Ten title. Woody had just come back from injury, Whitman and all these guys, and it was awesome. Like, holy hell, is this great? And uh, we're leaving because we know nothing about recruiting. Um, and all of a sudden, Coach Cruz comes out, and he's like, hey, Dan, come on in the locker room. So my dad my brother and I go in the locker room. I'm, long story short, after everybody leaves, Coach Knight hits me in the back of the head. <laughs> and I actually didn't know it was him. I turned around with kind of my fist clenched. Like, <laughs> like who the hell's hitting me here in the locker room? And he goes, well, you going to play basketball in Indiana or what? And I, my, I looked at my dad, and my dad looks at me, and I go, well, Coach, are you offering me a scholarship? Because I don't, you know, he goes, well, Blank, yeah, I'm offering you a scholarship. Why the blank do you think? I go, well, if you're offering me a scholarship, then I'm going to play at Indiana. Yeah. He goes, all right, well, just stay right here. I'll be back. And those days were a little different. But, yeah, you know, I would say. Yeah, just a little. So So then you get to Indiana. Mm-hmm. How how quickly does it take? I mean, you obviously you grew up knowing basketball. You you knew of Indiana because of the championships and what Coach Knight had done. They just won a recent championship, obviously. How long does it take you to fall in love with Indiana University once you get there? Well, mine was a little different. Like, I loved like the basketball, even when it was really stupidly tough. Um, I I I. I know, and I mentioned this earlier, like I just I'm trying to figure out how the hell to get on the court, mm-hmm. you know, because I thought when you watch on TV and you're a high school, you know, quote star, you're watching Jimmy Thomas and Tony Brown or Randy Whitman and you're like, hell, I'm better than them. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm dropping 25 on, you know, whoever. And then all of a sudden you play against them. And you're like, whoa, wait a second here. These guys are really good. The school itself was different for me. Like, your dad would understand this it back in those days indiana was really preppy like dudes had their collars up and it 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 was and not quite to the level of larry bird where larry bird got there and everybody was rich it wasn't that for me it just took me a little bit to go all right wait a second here this is you know this isn't exactly a blue collar Hmm. you know what i mean and it was so you identified um, more with the cutters a little bit truthfully that's why i really like living in bloomington like and but I, it, it wasn't, but it didn't take long, but it was weird at first. I'm like, man, like, why these dudes got their collars up? Why is everybody got all these, you know, like my de- true story, my deal, I played everybody kind of in Gary, huge junior golf tournament. And I like to play golf and we played at South Gleason Park in Gary and it would cost us like a buck to play. But anyway, that's where this golf tournament was. And one year, it's probably 15 or 16. I beat everybody on uh, Maryville's high school team and Andre, and I get to the finals. And I wore a freaking T-shirt that said Purdue on it, um, <laughs> cut-off jeans, and golf shoes. Or not even golf shoes. I just wore, you know, we weren't poor, but I just didn't care about those kind of things. I didn't care about wearing a polo and a nice shorts or, a, you know, golf shoes. Or, and I got my ass beat in the final, but that's all right. But <laughs> but so I go to Indiana, and that was kind of my way of, you know, I mean, I didn't dress. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's kind of, you know, preppy and everything. It took me a little bit to kind of find my niche, but I, you know, it didn't take me that long. I, I absolutely loved it. But it was a weird deal. I remember the feeling like, holy hell, these guys, everybody's dressing nice. And I look like hell. 
and I don't want to dress. You know, it was just weird. It was. Sure. It, I'm not describing it well. It was just kind of odd. No, I get it. Now, on the flip side of that, so forget about loving Indiana. How quickly yeah. did it take you to hate Purdue and Kentucky? Well, that's interesting. I I, I always um, liked Purdue. I always liked Purdue. Like my high school, a lot of kids went to Purdue. A lot of my friends went to Purdue. My high school teammate Jimmy Bullock went to Purdue. Coach Katie, I kind of opened up my recruiting kind of on the slide just because I wanted to meet Coach. Coach Katie came to my house one of his first trips, and I loved Coach Katie. But the truth of the matter is, um, I never really hated Purdue. I never really hated Kentucky. See, to us in Northwest Indiana, you got to understand, Kentucky didn't really matter. Like. Like, I get it. Southern Indiana, Kentucky didn't, you know, it mattered to us. I don't know. It was like, I thought Kentucky was a very boring watch when I was in high school. Like, I loved Goose Givens because he had 46 or whatever. But I swear to God, to us, Southern Indiana was, you know, south of U.S. 30. So we're (laughs) like, all right, you know what I mean? It's like, this is all the Cubs and... DePaul and Notre Dame and, you know, Purdue was close. I never really, I don't know, I never really developed a hate until um, until Purdue, pretty much my junior year, where I'm like, all right, I'm so tired of listening to all this bullshit from yes. people. You know, it's like, you know. But at first, I'm like, hey, my buddy Jimmy's playing. I had best game of my freshman year against Purdue. Got the start. Got a standing O when I fouled out. Blocked Kevin Stallings shot. We won in a big game. And. A really hot girl called my dorm room after it, so it was a good yes, day. Yes, yes. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll so, do it. So you got yeah. there right after the 81 championship. Yeah. And, and how did you find a role on the team? As you said, you, you started that Purdue game freshman year. Yeah. And, and the, the speed, the athleticism, the skill of your new t- teammates, you know, how, how did you make that adjustment so relatively quickly? You know, one of the things that I always liked about Coach Knight, and and this is not the case. This was not the case with a lot of guys. Uh, I know Coach Crane really started doing it a little bit, but not many guys do this. He he rewarded practice. Like, he rewarded you. And I'll never forget, we're playing Kentucky, and I'm literally the last guy off the bench. At Kentucky, my freshman year, we are getting our ass kicked. And Coach Knight puts me in. You know, we're getting beat so bad, I get to get it get to go in so I go in I play really well last probably six seven minutes and um next you know next day in practice I'm on the uh I'm on the red team which is the first team and um I get to start and I make base make the you know I think it was against Colorado State and then Penn State we win the Hoosier Indiana Classic and I make the all-tournament team and uh, from that point on, at least my freshman year, I was pretty much in the rotation, whether I started or came off the bench. But I always liked the fact that Coach Knight rewarded you. You always knew, hey, look, if I bust my ass here, I'm gonna, at some point I'm going to get an opportunity. And that is not always the case at all with some coaches. Some coaches stick with, stick with, stick with. So I like the coach did that. So talk to us a little bit about what it was like playing for Coach Knight in a time where – it's a little. It's an interesting era for him because he had won two championships. He was kind of becoming the thing that we all kind of thought of him later in his career as this like icon and legend. But when you're there, I mean, he had only been coaching Indiana at the time for what nine years. By the time you got there, he hadn't been there for 25 years. And you you said to yourself, you know, you were a little bit of a shy kid. 
did did he ever intimidate you? Did any of that bother you? Did the cursing bother you? I can't imagine the cursing bothered you, by the way. <laughs> no, I grew up I grew up with his bad of mouth. In fact, Gretchen Wellman, my neighbor, turned me in one time and I had to have soap in my mouth. Oof. I'll never forget in our downstairs bathroom. But no, to be honest with you, um, none of that bothered me. Zero. In fact, that's the reason I went there because and this is going to sound like a slight to my high school coach, and I guess I don't mean it to be, but I really feel like if we, we'd been really coached, we would have won two state championships. And, and our high school coach did a good job with us. I mean, we you know we got to the finals, got to the final four, final eight, and all that stuff. But um, I loved all that stuff. In fact, there were times when – my dad didn't really swear. My dad's more of a – you know, he, he's – I don't know. His words can just – pierce me anyway but I always there a lot of times I felt literally like I shook my head closed my eyes and blinked man this is my dad talking so I really 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 liked that I loved I loved the importance of basketball like I loved the fact that there's nothing going to be accepted like um we beat Miami of Ohio my first game that I ever played in at Indiana. I played one minute, end of the first half, I scored five points, got three-point play and a layup. And I walk in, and I'm like, shoot, man, um, I'm averaging 200 points a game on a 40-minute <laughs> basis, right? And, man, Coach Knight comes in and, I mean, just kills us, kills Whitman, kills Kitchell, kicks us out of the locker room. We got dressed in the football locker room, blah, blah, no practice. I'm like, damn, we just won by 20. <laughs> and I always, I always liked that. I always liked, because basketball was important to me. I mean, I would love to say that I gave a rat's ass about school, but I really didn't. I, 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 I went to school because my, teacher, my parents were teachers, and I understood the importance of school. But, I mean, truthfully, basketball was, was my love. And I knew that one of the cool things about being in Indiana is, you know, it was Coach Knights, and it was the players there. And that's why sometimes I'm so hard on, like, Romeo Langford or whatever, because, you know, to me, those of us that played at Indiana, and we didn't play great. We got beat. I mean, I'm not, you know, but it was about Indiana. It wasn't about, like, my shoe contract or my this or that. It was it, it was about Indy frickin' Anna, and Coach Knight made it that way. He made it like, hey, Whitman, I don't give a damn if you're first team all. I'll never forget. You mentioned it. They won national championship in 81. First practice the next year, October 15th. You can't practice before like you can now. You start. Everybody starts high school, college, October 15th. Two minutes into practice, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it was. He is killing Randy Whitman and Ted Kitchell, two guys that started on national championship team about how they have forgotten how hard it is to get to March. You guys are still selling. I mean, he is killing them. And I'm thinking, oh, man, if my man will kill those two guys, I can't imagine what he's going to do to me. So I better get my shit together, man. So anyway, but that's I liked all that. I thought that was that was perfect for me. So. Skipping ahead to your sophomore year, you guys yeah. won the Big Ten title, uh, but Kitchell was hurt. And something I just found out was up until 2000, that was the only Big Ten banner that was hanging in Assembly Hall. And then yeah. Coach Knight had to put it up there as a tribute to the fans. Can you talk a little bit about that season and why Coach Knight made that move to, to sure. honor the uh, the uh, uh, the faithful in Assembly Hall? Well, 
for me personally, it was the worst basketball year of my life. Just simply, I got knee surgery and I barely played. But um, what happened was we were we were number one in the country for a while, and then you know you lose whatever. But we were very good, and we ended up winning the Big Ten. But Ted was a great player, and Ted was a guy that really. It was the only time I ever saw a guy really be kept out of practice. Like he would keep Ted out sometimes because Ted had a terrible back and coach was, was, you know, protective of Ted. And then all of a sudden we went to Michigan and it was at the end of the year and Ted, um, he was done. He couldn't play anymore. He, he heard it. He was, he was done. And we came back and we had to beat, shoot, I think we had to beat Purdue and Ohio State to win the Big Ten title. And Coach Knight on his uh, radio or his TV show for really the first time. Cause I, we all, I mean, back in the day, everybody watched coach Knight's TV show. Like it was like <laughs> comedy, like, yeah. you know, what kind of mood he was in or how bad Chuck Marlowe would get abused or whatever. <laughs> so everybody watching coach, you know, he said, look, we really need, it's the only time he's ever probably did that. We really need our fans. This is two home games to win the big 10 title. And we have to have our fans come out. And I want, I want, you know, blah, 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 blah. He just went off on it. He just went on. So we win both games and we win the Big Ten Championship. And it's, it's very emotional after because Ted and Randy, that was their senior day. And Ted came in the locker room the game, you know, the day of the, you know, for the first time since he'd been hurt. It was, a, it was an emotional day. And, that's when Coach Knight made the thing. He goes, look, we we don't put up Big Ten titles here normally, but because you fans were so great and you're a huge part of us winning these last two games, which enable us to win the Big Ten, um, you know, we're going to put this banner up as a symbol to our fans. And you know, it, it's funny. I got to. I didn't really follow all the drama of it being taken down and brought back up, but uh, that's the story behind it. So, Coach, was there a point? Uh, where you know, all right, basketball is not going to be, I'm not going to be playing basketball for my livelihood. I have to start thinking about what I'm going to do after college, even though I'm still in college. Was there a point in your career where you really started thinking about coaching? And was that something that you ever talked to Coach Knight about while you were there, or did that all happen once you graduated? No, coach called me in at the beginning of my senior year and said, look, I know you want to coach. He goes, look, at the end of this year, I want you to be a graduate assistant. And I thought, oh, man, that's great. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go to school, but I did want to be on the coaching <laughs> staff. And, and then what happened was we had a horrible year. Like, coach was burnt out from the Olympics. He was – it was his worst year he ever coached. I did a terrible job, according to Coach Knight, of – leading the team uh he kicked guys off we were we were a mess we got to the finals at nit and we were such a mess we had an assistant coach named con smith who were playing and think about this this still drives me nuts we're, coach was always mad at me kicked me out me and uve we, we weren't allowed to go on a trip to new york and then we went on the trip to new york we weren't going to play but uve started and i end up playing the whole second half in the semifinal against Tennessee. We win that game. We had day in between. Uwe and I are going to be sent home on a plane because we're bad leaders. <laughs> you know, it's just like, holy hell. Like, And then we go play UCLA, and I'll never forget this. Like, when you – in those days, every game wasn't on TV, but, like, Big Monday ended with a Pac-10 game or Pac-12 game, whatever it was called then, and UCLA was always on. So I knew Reggie Miller was – I knew Reggie Miller could shoot the living hell out of it. 
So I'll never forget, we had this assistant named Con Smith that told us we're supposed to play off Reggie Miller in the scouting report to front a guy named Gary Melanson, their post guy. <laughs> so I go in the second half because he wasn't going to play me the whole game, but he starts me the second half. And I'm playing off Reggie freaking Miller to some guy named Gary Melanson. Reggie <laughs> hits like three jumpers on me. <laughs> And I look over at the bench at this Con Smith, and his head's down. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, we lose, and I don't know, man. Like, I'm, we're in a timeout, and Nancy Knight, Coach Knight's wife, I never heard a woman ever in my life drop the big F-bombs, <laughs> the mother F-bombs. And she's dropping, Doc, it's you, mother, blank and blank and mother. And I'm like, whoa. And I got amused by it. Like, I started, I'm a senior. My career's over, and I'm just in the huddle, and I'm hearing, Doc, it's you, mother, blank and blank. <laughs> I started laughing. And, well, Coach Knight banned me and Uve from existence in Indiana and whatever. And so <laughs> the next year, I don't know whether I need a job. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, you know. And you know how George Costanza gets fired, but he keeps showing yeah, up course. at the job. <laughs> Don't That's accept exactly it. what I did. I was supposed to be a grad assistant. I set it all up to be a grad assistant. Me and Murray Barto, uh, Gene Barto's son, who was the head coach of UCLA this year, were grad assistants. And I just kept showing up. And uh, eventually, you know, the Cold War thawed, and I became one of the inner circle guys. But I swear to God, when I I didn't really watch Seinfeld during those times because you're busy. But I go back, and when he when 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 Costanza just showed up after being fired, man, I, that was so me. I would just be in the <laughs> office, hiding out, going downstairs, whatever, just you know, for basically a year, and, and eventually. It, you know, worked out. Costanza is your spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. So, so let's. Just, gotta, that's one part I got. Go ahead. Oh sorry. well, sorry. We just we got to step back to obviously the North Carolina game. They're the number one team in the country in the NCAA tournament. They got a few players people have heard of. You know, Sam Perkins, Kenny Smith, Matt Doherty, uh, somebody else. Who else was on that team? Yeah. Michael Jordan was on that team. So obviously, that's a huge part of your legend. Can you tell us what was the game plan going into that? And can you take us through the game from your perspective? Not just the defensive job you did on Jordan, but you were really a great facilitator in that game on the offensive end. Um, you know, the first thing is, and this is hard for people to understand. Actually, it's hard for me to understand now years later, but we expected to win the game like one of the things about that particular year's team, we would beat good teams and then lose, and it ended up happening. We lost to Virginia in the next game, but we expected Indiana was supposed to beat North Carolina. Like, they had just done it in 1981 National Championship. When it, when it came to big games, we felt like we were tougher, and Coach Knight really played on that. He's like, look, Carolina had this signal where you would come out, take yourself out of the game if you were tired. Like, I think you put a fist up, and Knight said, and he goes, I'm telling you guys right now, any one of you puts a fist up to come out of the game, I swear to God, you'll never play basketball in Indiana again. <laughs> and he made us think that we were like Mike Tyson in his prime going up against some, you know, tomato can. And the game itself, Jordan got the first four points. And I did do this. I've told this story many times, but this is true. I, I, I literally wanted to hold him under 60 points, six zero points. <laughs> 
because the record, then you can look this up. It's either, it, I thought the, re- the record is 60 NCAA points in a game, Austin Carr against University, uh, Ohio University in like 1971. And I, I swear to God, this happened. I literally just, oh, when we went to the game, we get there an hour and a half ahead of time. I literally just opened up the program randomly and it came to points, you know, the record book. It, Points in a game, all-time NCAA tournament game. And there it was. And I'm like, ah, hell, man, I can hold him to 60. Are you kidding me? (laughs) And uh, he got the first four points of the game. And I'll never forget running down the court, looking up at the scoreboard going, damn, he's got four points in one minute. He's going to get 160 points. I started doing math. And I really did. I honestly started doing the math on it. Like, holy shit, he's going to get 160 points. Um, but you know, the, the truth of the matter was when the we, our game plan was take away Sam Perkins, which we didn't do a great job of. Sam was really good. And the game plan on Michael Jordan was don't let it. He told night told me, he goes, he gets offensive rebound. He goes, you're not playing. You're coming out. He goes, if he posts you up, you're not coming out. And if he drives by you, you're coming out. I'm sorry. You're coming out. So we played off of him, dared him to shoot or allowed him to shoot. And he went in the post a couple of times, but I was a pretty good post defender for a, I always played in the post kind of as a kid and I kind of understood it. And Knight always had me down in post and drill. So I could handle that a little bit. Blocking out was just simply, I didn't care if I got the ball, he wasn't getting it. Cause I liked to play. But what happened was early in the game, coach Knight took me out. Just, I don't know if it was get a rest or whatever. And Marty Simmons came in and Marty, basically turned the ball over twice in a row. And uh, so Knight put me back in. And um, I remember feeling when, when Jordan went out that these guys weren't any better than us. Like, they're not any better than us. And Alford got hot as hell. And the facilitating part was, you know, this is really complicated basketball stuff. Hey, Alford's hot. Get him the freaking ball. I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I wow, mean, Coach Knight really was a genius. Yeah, it was a god, right? I mean, how the hell could you not, you know. Like, and, and you know what, we, we were able to get, we, the one thing I do remember is we never relinquished the lead. Like Stu hit a couple shots. Stu, I remember Stu got a steal. I remember, I, you know, I don't remember all the game, but I remember standing there watching Stu lay it in and looking up at the scoreboard going, all right, we're up four, which seemed like a lot at that time. But I was sick as a dog. I was throwing up before the game. I, I'd been sick all week, but I didn't tell anybody. And I filed out and literally went to the bench and I asked the security guard for this this yellow bucket, um, you know, garbage bag. And I asked Tim Garl, the trainer, I said, I need a towel. And I just put a towel over my head and puked in this bucket for the whole last three minutes. And, and uh, you know, Michael, Mike Giomi hit a couple free throws. Uve hit a couple free throws. And, you know, we won the game. Well, you, you mentioned somebody there uh, that I want to go back to in Tim Garl, but I do want to just ask one more question about the North Carolina sure. and the Michael Jordan. Sure. At what point did that become the legend of Dan Dockich that you shut down Michael Jordan? When did you realize that this wasn't just a game that you won that you were going to put behind you and kind of reminisce with friends about for years to come? But no, no, no. This is going to become the thing that people know you for. Do you remember you know, that moment? Yeah, I do. I remember a couple things. One, after the game, like – you know, Alfred had 30 or whatever he had. And so I'm, you know, we win, I go jump, we're jumping up and down. We're all happy. And it, it, we didn't have, you know, handshake lines then. So you just celebrate and got off the court. And I, Steve and I are running off the court and I kind of got my arm around him. And the, this lady from CBS, you know, grabs Steve and says, Hey, we want you for the post game interview. And then she grabbed me 
and said, Dan, we want you to, and I go, I don't know what the hell. I mean, truthfully, I did not know why I'm st- going to go to the post. I had four points. <laughs> and swear to God, Billy Packer, it's me. No, what's the guy? Gary Bender, Coach Knight, offered me Billy Packer. And so Gary Bender asked Coach, my kids actually laughed at this. They saw it, and they're like, you're an idiot, Dad. Um, <laughs> Gary Bender asked Coach Knight about free throws to win the game. And we had missed a bunch in the middle of the game to let Carolina back in. And Coach Knight gave him, I can't remember the answer, but it was like, shut the hell up, you know. <laughs> and then they asked Alford about his. And I, I swear to God, I'm literally standing there going, I have no idea why I'm here. I do not know. Literally do not know. It's not, it's not in your head at that point that you, you shut down Michael Zero. Jordan. Zero. That's not in your Zero. head. Zero. Okay. No. <laughs> not even a thought. And all of a sudden – they ask Alford something, and Alford is like this. Uh, Alford was a freshman, and I was a junior. And Steve is like the most polished guy, right? So mm-hmm. Steve gives this. And I'll never forget, he gives this answer about, well, you know, the kids and I. I'm thinking, kids? Kids? Talking? Yeah, like, I'm two years old, and you dumbass. What are you talking? And I'll never forget looking at him like, what is he talking about? And then Billy Packer, Billy Packer goes, hey, Dan. How'd you do it? And I'm thinking, I swear to God, I'm like, how did I do what? What the hell did I do? He goes, how'd you shut down Michael Jordan? Oh. And I swear to you, God is my witness. That's the first time I'd ever heard that. I didn't think it. I didn't think I had. I just thought we played a game. Alfred got hot. We got him the ball. We made plays. We won the game. And I swear to God, I looked at the camera because I didn't know what to say. And I just looked at the camera and said, it just wasn't that hard. <laughs> and... And it's and you know my parents are teachers, you know what I mean. Like these people are teachers, my parents, and I'm that's how I represent it. Because what happened was, the game was over. It was kind of late, and the whole place had cleared out except for all the cheerleaders and the parents had come down, kind of by the side of the court. And I remember Coach Knight looking at me like you are a stone idiot, and we just kind of walked off. But I did. I, and then, you know, we lose to Virginia and. We come home and I'm kind of depressed because I turned the ball over with a minute. And I'll never forget a minute 18 to go. And I don't know what happened. It was later on that night. My roommate, one of my roommates said, hey, do you know what Billy Packer said about you in the game against North Carolina? I said, no. And he put it on our little VCR. And I'm like, what? You know, Dockett's just, guard. I don't know. He made a big deal about it. So it became a thing. But that those is, that's. That's when, like, that's first I'd heard about it is after the game or, yeah. Uh, when was the last time you saw or were in the presence of Michael Jordan where you could, like, have a conversation with him? Well, I beat him out of $6,000 that summer uh, at the Olympics. Nice. He, yeah, and he didn't pay because that's what apparently he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And I would write him – I. I like I said, I had a basketball camp for kids um, for 24 years in my high school, and, and he lived. I actually got his address from the builder who built his house as an IU grad, and I would write him a letter, Jordan, every year saying, you know, show up at my camp for five minutes, and the sixth grand you owe me is waived, right? Yes. So... Um, I'd never heard back from him, but in 93, when Calbert and uh, Greg Graham and those guys were coming out, Coach Knight used my brother 
who is a lawyer as kind of the conduit between, you know, agents and those guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so we were going to go have a meeting with David Falk, um, Jordan's agent, who wanted to run and represent Cal. And we went to the Bulls game and Falk was there and he's like, hey, um, you know, after the game, they played the Knicks, and I went down to see Eric Anderson, the late Eric Anderson, and uh, he said, hey, look, Michael invites you guys over to his restaurant for dinner if you guys want to join him. And we're like, well, hell yeah, right? I mean, you know, Michael just dropped like 50 on the Knicks, and we're going to go to dinner with him. Let's do it. Long story short, we walk into Jordan's restaurant. He's there, and he's got a bunch of people, and they're at a back table, and we go say hello and talk, and um have crab cakes and we're leaving and he turns to me he goes hey doc it's he goes can you can this cover the six thousand dollars and stop writing me letters <laughs> and, you know i said dude those crab cakes weren't that damn good <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just kind of walked out so but no i haven't seen him since i saw him and i actually recruited his son um Jeffrey, I went and met with him at Highland Park High School, whatever high school was. But I, uh, uh, he went to Illinois, so I didn't really get a chance to talk to Michael. So you had the unique experience once you were, you know, assistant coach Costanza, uh, yeah, to actually, you know, be a part of the staff with your former teammates Steve Alford, Daryl Thomas, Todd Meyer, yeah. on the way to winning the national championship in 1987. Can you talk a little bit you know, about that season and what it was like to to basically have been a teammate of these guys and now you're part of the coaching staff when you guys get all the way through and, and win the title? Well, for me personally, I was a grad assistant and Coach Knight kind of put me in charge of Ricky Calloway. And he's like, look, Ricky's a freshman. You know, you, 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 he's your guy. You make sure that, you know, his grades are good. Make sure he's, you know. So, Ricky, it was kind of like, you know, we had enough assistant coaches, and, and Ricky was kind of my guy. But to your point about those guys, those guys, I've always said this about players, or I've learned this. I shouldn't say I've always said it. But I've learned this about players. Guys that were great guys to coach and guys that had personal setbacks that never whine or complain they just keep pushing stay that way as uh as adults and when you mentioned daryl and and todd and uh uh, steve exactly you know who those guys were daryl um daryl's the best guy like daryl was a mess as a freshman uh kind of a mess as a sophomore and then if anybody ever, in my opinion, represented what Indiana basketball was all about, it was Daryl Thomas because Daryl Thomas had so many opportunities to quit. Um, wasn't, you know, a great player until he, and this can sound stupid, just until he became a great player. Didn't show up as a great player. Showed up, you know, okay. Um, and then all of a sudden, man, he's dropping 23, I think a double-double against Cycli and uh, – uh, Derek Coleman and and Todd Meyer represents it as well because Todd came as a highly recruited kid. Todd, Todd and a kid named Joe Wolf who played at North Carolina, um, they were the best players in uh, in Wisconsin, and I mean they were the best players in the Midwest. And and Todd gets injured, or Todd Todd had explosiveness. Todd could shoot it, but he had so many knee problems that he just became one of the great leaders and the great mature guys. Nobody threw a better post game party than Todd Meyer. <laughs> and, 
And it sounds like that would be a bad thing, but it wasn't. It was like a bonding thing. And that particular crew between Sloney and Hillman and Isle, um, and, and in the way Keith and, uh, and Dean just showed up with the maturity, it was a special group. In fact, we were talking about it the other day, like, to think that that team won a national championship, and really, when you look at it, probably Dean Garrett was the most effective pro. Now it's like you got to have three pros, a first round pick, and you right. can't get to the final four. But there was such a maturity about that entire group. Um, that, and they had been through some stuff. You know, Steve and, 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 and Todd and Daryl were freshmen when we beat Jordan, and they were sophomores when we couldn't even make the NCAA tournament. And then they went through the stuff with losing to Cleveland State. So instead of letting a little bit of adversity get them down, man, they, they went to work. And uh, it's the most impressive leadership thing I've ever seen in college basketball to this day from players. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches have done great things, but from players, I've never seen better leaders than those guys. Were you able to truly enjoy that national championship? You weren't that far away from being a player yourself. Was there any part of you that was like, damn, how come we couldn't do this when I was playing? Um, or were you able I enjoyed to just... it so much I got handcuffed and thrown in the back of a police car for not <laughs> leaving freaking Pat O'Brien's with aisle and all. No, you know, there really wasn't it. And, and truthfully, I am the type of person that would say, damn, I wish we'd have done that. And I did feel that. But I just, I, I don't know, I just really liked those guys. And I, I uh, had kind of immersed myself into the coaching thing. So there wasn't really a part of me that was still a player. And that's not the easiest thing, but um, I really liked those guys. I really liked, and, and I was, I mean, I was just happy for all of us because, um, again, I just know the stuff that guys, those guys went through and, and, uh, I don't know. And, and Keith and, and Daryl, or excuse me, Keith and, and Dean and David Miner, who I think was a freshman and Tony Freeman, they were all just likable guys. You know, it didn't work out for David or Tony in Indiana, but they were really, really likable guys. And um, that's why I always say, you know, when you just get a group of guys that just want to win, like Alford, I mean, Alford knew his role. Alford was supposed to score, and Coach Knight, he knew Coach Knight was going to bitch, whine, and moan at him for not playing defense. But Alford also tell you he ended up being the all-time uh, steals leader in Indiana, so he must have done a little bit defensively. <laughs> so, you know, the guys just were mature and all about IU, and that, that was cool to me, very cool to me. How did your relationship with Coach Knight uh, – uh, actually, I have a couple questions here that are kind of related. I'm curious how your relationship changed with Coach Knight going from a player to a coach and, and being on his staff and kind of in the inner sanctum. And also, how did your relationship, as it relates to watching how he talks to players and treats players, change – from being a player and on the, the being on the receiving end of it to now being on his staff and kind of a part of him. Did it change at all for you? Did it give you a different perspective or did you maintain the kind of the same feeling throughout? Well, he always said something that I thought was interesting. He always said that a player should have to coach one year before he plays in college basketball. And I got to tell you, man, that my first year out, uh, even though I was, you know, Costanza in it. I, I was taking notes and I'm like, damn, this is a lot of work to win one freaking game. Like, and, and he was right, you know, and then you see kind of the frivolous of players, you know, that just, just like doing something stupid that doesn't even like the first year I was out, we had the kid, uh, 
Andre Harris. And Andre was an uber-talented kid, and I thought a really nice kid. He just wasn't going to go to school. <laughs> you know, and you sit there as a, as a player, and you go, all right, yeah, that's cool. What the hell? You know, you didn't go to school. But as a coach, you're like, how stupid are you? you, you, you you're, you're costing yourself. You just have a different feel. And then with Coach Knight over the years, I, and this is – Again, it's going to sound negative to Coach Knight, and maybe it is, but I thought and I couldn't wait to get out of there my last couple of years because he had gone from a guy that you really felt – I really felt. I can only speak for myself. I really felt was four players, four Indiana, four the kid, to a guy that was just – well, he was frustrated, but it was like every day. You call Alfred and you tell him what an SOB is, or I can't believe this guy wrote that. I mean, it's like every day was a battle, and that wasn't really how it was. It was, for most of my time at Indiana, every day was a quest. Every day was a quest to win the next game. And he always had a saying where it was like, you know, number one, he'd always ask me, are we going to ever win another game? And I would say, no, Coach, I swear to God, we cannot win another game. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to go over the whole freaking year. It's going to be unbelievable. And he would go, you're a smart ass. You came here as a smart ass, and you're going to leave here as a smart ass. I go, well, yeah. you know, at least, at least I'm defined. Um, <laughs> but then he would always say, well, you got to get in position to get in position. And that goes to what I was saying. It was always every day a quest to win the next game. And it, it – I mean, to be honest with you, I know Indiana fans revere Coach Knight and all that. That really soured me on him uh, because I felt like the experience that I had was such a great experience because of that. And and I will also say, like, you know, people can say whatever they want. Um, but I, the, the recruiting class of Reed and Charlie Miller and Patterson um, – it wasn't great. I mean, it was great on paper, but you had guys that weren't necessarily willing to sacrifice for the good of the whole. They were kind of, I don't know. I always feel like, and this is where I get in trouble currently with Indiana fans, is that I always feel like it's not never about you at Indiana. It's never about you at Duke. It's never about you at Kentucky. It's, it's, it's about, you know, we, us, winning, legacy from winning not legacy from individual accomplishment that comes from the winning. Um, and I just felt like starting with that group, it frustrated Knight and it frustrated, quite frankly, it frustrated me. And I thought he became a different guy. Well, I'm glad that was when I was going to school there. That was a really great time. <laughs> yeah. uh, but let's. It's uh, funny. My daughter, it's so, so funny you say that because my daughter just graduated and she's like, damn, dad. We never, I, we always hear about everybody running to the fountain. Yeah, we, you know, we, yeah. We we took a picture at the fountain <laughs> just to say we were at the freaking fountain. But you know, there was no celebrating there in the late nineties. No, but but if if we could, I wouldn't mind because you you had a twelve year run there um, on the staff. Let's just like do some highlights in terms of some of the players. Tell us something about Jay Edwards because he certainly gave us some thrilling memories there in the late eighties. Yeah, to me, Jay Edwards uh, is one of the two or three best players I was ever around. I mean, he he was frustrating because, like, in practice, you would think he wasn't doing anything, and then he's still the best player at practice. And then, but you know, Jay just couldn't escape the demons. And and Jay and Jay to me, obviously, there's never been a more clutch player. Um, I like Jay. I like Jay a lot because Jay. 
Jay had all these things, and he was a pain in the ass in a lot of levels, but he never really lied. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, hey, Jay, you go to class? No, man, didn't feel like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I mean, and, and I can respect that, but as a player, you'd think he's cruising through the game, and next thing you know, I'll never forget, he was a freshman, went to Minnesota, and I, I somebody can look this up and tell me I'm wrong, but I swear to God, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, my God, you know, he's playing pretty well, and at the end, it was like, 30, 10, and 10 or whatever he had. It's it's He was a great, great basketball player and a winning kid. Well, you said he was one of the two or three best you'd been around. If you Pick your starting five for Indiana. You're starting your, your all-time Indiana team. Who's your, who's your starting five? Well, guys that I was around, Calbert and Steve. Calbert, Steve, and Randy Whitman, and Ted Kitzer would probably be uh, four guys that I would say in the time that I was at Indiana. And then the fifth would either be Greg Graham or Damon Bailey. I mean, they were oh, – no, 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 no. I'm sorry. The fifth would be Alan Henderson. Alan oh, Henderson yeah. was a great basketball player. Alan Henderson was a great I'll, – I'll tell you a story. We're playing um, Kansas, who always beat our ass. Uh, and bastards. we're playing Kansas. <laughs> and we're playing them at Assembly Hall, and they've got Rafe friends and, and all these guys. And – we had lost him in overtime there, and it was exam week, so we really had a kind of a mismatch of practice. And we beat Kansas badly uh, on that Saturday, and Allen had, I think, 35 and 18 or whatever it was. And I get a call on Monday from a professor. He goes, hey, Dan, I just want to tell you, Allen Henderson is in a class with all people that are going to medical school. Allen had an exam on Friday and got the highest grade in the class. And he goes, you know, Dan, none of these other students had to go out and play Kansas the next day and had Coach Knight breathing out. And Allen, to me, is, is again, another guy that everything – every any if you want to say show me a, an Indiana basketball player, Allen Henderson would be a guy as well. What about the most maddening player that you were around? The player that you thought if they could just get it together upstairs – they would be something special. You know, Andre Patterson was really smart yeah. and a really good dude. Uh, but there's like, I call them killers. Like, you know, to be great. Like Isaiah was a killer. Isaiah just, you know, he'd kill you. Um, Calvert became a killer. You know, these guys became killers. It never really, and I wasn't there late in Andre's career, so maybe he did. But Andre had as much talent as anybody you'll ever find. And Andre... Uh, was a guy that just I felt like from a talent standpoint could have been as good as anybody in the country. He had a good career, better than mine, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I just I, I feel like God-given talent, smarts, um, anything you want is uh, is pretty good. So when what you were saying, just, just to come back to that and put a button on the Patterson, obviously, Neil Reed, that era, the frustration that Coach Knight felt – was Coach Knight already checking out prior to that? Was he more about hunting and fishing and allowed other people to bring those players into the program? Well, it, it, other people were, were all of us. What, what happened was, um, yeah, there was a lot of that. And what happened was there was a lot of mistakes. Like we wanted, I really wanted Rafe friends. Like Rafe friends, Iowa was going through all this transition. Rafe friends' dad was great. And we had, we had Rafe friends. Uh, I'll tell you a story, which is insane, but we're supposed to have Rafe friends and his mom and dad down to Bloomington after the Nike camp, which was held in Indianapolis. And we're up in Frank, 
Frankfort, Indiana, filming Blue Chips. Oh, I was there, baby. I was there. Were you? Oh, yeah. Uh, It was more fun for others than for us, I'll tell you that. Uh, We had – so Coach Knight decides that he is not going to meet with the LaFrenzes on Saturday because he wants to go to the Millie Schembechler golf outing practice round. So what he sets up is – after the Nike All-Star game up in Indy, which end, which starts at 9 o'clock, ends at 11, 11.30, I'm to bring the LaFrances down to Bloomington. He's going to meet with the LaFrances then, and we're going to – that's our recruiting of Rafe LaFrickin' Friends, who was the best big guy in the country. So long story short, we don't leave. We do not leave. My wife goes with me. We go to the All-Star game. They got to go back to the hotel. We literally, the All-Star game starts late because it's a slam dunk contest. We leave Indianapolis at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. We drive to Assembly Hall. We get there at 3, 3.30. Coach Knight's not there. I got to go to pay phone and call him, or my office phone and call him. He comes in. Now it's closer to 4 o'clock in the freaking morning, if you can believe this. This is what we have to do. He walks in, looks at Mrs. LaFrenz and says, you look like hell. And we what? sit down, yeah, we sit down and have a meeting for an hour, and I drive them to the ho- to the hotel. I can tell they're disgusted by this whole thing. And maybe I have it off by an hour. Maybe it's 4 o'clock. Right. I don't know. Right. You know, whatever. Um, and the next day, I'm supposed to take them around. They meet me at Assembly Hall at like noon, and Mr. LaFrance goes, hey, Dan, we're just going to go on to Notre Dame. I said, look, I don't blame you, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I hated to. And then we did the same thing with Jacques Vaughn. Jacques Vaughn, who was a great player. Jacques, we'd been recruiting the hell out of him. And uh, Jacques uh, wanted to visit Michigan, which, you know, Michigan's a good school. Coach Knight said, you call Jacques Vaughn, tell him if he visits Michigan, he's not coming to Indiana. And I'm like, well, wait a second. No, you just tell him that. I'm like, I'm like damn, I wish you'd have told me because I got followed by a couple guys in a in one of those, I thought I was going to die recruiting Jacques Vaughn in the neighborhood. <laughs> they pinned me in in a freaking cul-de-sac, and I had to drive up on a, on a side yard to get out of there. And and I'm fine with that. I don't care if it's a good player. I'll I'll take a bullet. But damn, don't don't cancel on me before we even get to kind of visit. So stuff like that would happen. And he, you know, he told Glenn Robinson he should go to Purdue. I mean, just crazy stuff. All right. Well. <laughs> we, we could talk to you hours and hours about that, but I and you have you have told stories of your uh, you leaving Indiana and and how uh, you know you you mentioned it earlier that your last couple of years you were ready to get the hell out, and with some of these stories, I think it's pretty clear why. Uh, we're gonna skip past your Bowling Green career yeah, yeah, yeah. because we don't want to keep you here till you know four p.m. Well, we do, but we, no. we figure you don't want to stay here till four p.m. I gotta go do a radio show yes, in two exactly. hours. So I'm good up until then. All right. So I am curious how you come back to Indiana in 2008. Who makes that phone call to you? How does that happen? And did you have any reluctance in returning to Indiana, knowing who the coach was then? And just what the program was at that point? Well, you know, it's a great question. Here's how that happened. You know, I'm out of a job at Bowling Green. And I'm like, man, you know, what do I want to do? So I go to the Final Four, and Urban Meyer coached at Bowling Green. And Urban is a friend of mine in Florida. He was a Florida football coach, and Florida was playing. 
And he and his defense coordinator, a guy named Charlie Strong, who's now a head coach, they had an extra seat, so I sat down with Urban and watched the game. And they're all texting and they're working and during the game. And I'm like, man, I got to get back to that level. I'm not – I'm, I'm going to get – you know. So anyway, long story short, I was convinced, all right, I wasn't going to go anywhere other than the highest level of Division One basketball if I could. Anyway, so I reached out to a few people, and I knew Calvin. I always had a good relationship with Calvin uh, on the road recruiting. Um, you know, I knew him, would sit and watch games once in a while if we were in the same gym or laugh about something stupid. His Washington State team played at Assembly Hall, and I got to know him a little bit at a dinner. And um, So I was going to go to either Arizona – I'll fast forward all the crap. I was going to go to Arizona State with Herb Sendek, or I was going to go to uh, um, Indiana. And I really wanted to go to Indiana just simply because um, – you know, my family's here. I like Bloomington. I like living in Bloomington. My sister lived there. My brother lived in Indy. And I had zero, and I mean zero clue that anything was going on with the program. And and I asked Tracy Smith, the baseball coach, friend of mine, and I'm like, Tracy, come on, man. A dude was cheating. Dan, I swear to God, they're not that stupid, blah, 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 blah. So I go there, and I have to make a decision. Like, Herb is like, you know, I need to know. And long story short, uh, I decided to come to Indiana. And I came my first day, we were running camp. So Kellen Sampson was running a camp, and I just went there and just kind of worked. And uh, camp, you know, working for Calvin was different than working for Coach Knight. Like, Coach Knight keep you there all day and night. Sampson's like, hey, I'm getting the hell out of here, um, which I liked. And, and at real, that point in my real, life. real quick, Coach, just to, I just want to make it clear. Yeah. So it was Kelvin who brought you in, not like an athletic director? Oh, no, no. I, was, I, never, I, I didn't never talk to the athletic director. I talked, to, I talked to Kelvin and uh, went out to his house and, and all that stuff. Got it. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just yeah, no, no, no. Okay. I know that's a rumor. Like, they brought me in to be a watchdog. <laughs> yeah, like, or, or I think some people might think that, I mean, you're bringing in Kelvin. There was controversy about bringing him in. He's not an Indiana guy in any way. There was no Indiana guy on the staff, yeah. really. And so it kind of made sense from a PR standpoint. Well, yeah. no one said Indiana more than Coach Dockage. Yeah. And I was cool with that, too. Like I told him, I go, you want to make this a PR thing? I really don't care. It was the greatest job I ever had. I'd carry a cup of coffee, walk around. I, I did nothing. <laughs> like, And then all of a sudden, like, like, because of my big mouth, I, I had to start coaching a little bit. And then Calvin, you know, I'll tell you a story. One night, and it's probably illegal, I don't even know, but uh, it was on Co- Cody Zeller. No, Tyler Zeller was on campus. And we were recruiting the hell out of Tyler. And we're in the locker room, and I got tired of watching the assistant coaches kind of fumble over recruiting for Indiana. So I stood up, and like I'll be honest with you, there ain't anybody in the history of the world can recruit to Indiana like I can. So I give this speech to Tyler Zeller, and I'm making him laugh, and Samson's rolling on the floor. This is the kind of guy Samson was. That night, Samson calls me at 1 in the morning, and he wants to replace Jeff Meyer with me. He goes, I want to switch. He goes, you're the best recruit I've ever heard. He goes, I want to switch you and Jeff Meyer. And I said, Coach, I'm not doing that. I go, you know, Jeff's been here. He's been your guy, and I'm not circumventing anybody. I'm just here to, you know – do whatever, but I'm not, you know, and if that upsets you, I'm sorry, but I'm not circumventing a friend. I mean, shoot, he's, you know, um, so, so anyway, they, they, we had team camp. That's when uh, 
Tyler was here. We had, then the guys went on the road recruiting and I've only been there a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, like the dress code in Indiana basketball under Calvin Sampson was literally gym shorts and a t-shirt. I mean, coach not yet to wear a pole. He had to look like a human being. It, it, <laughs> Calvin Sampson, man, all of a sudden, here comes McCollum off the road in a jacket and tie in the office. Here comes Senderoff off the road in a jacket and tie. And finally, Jeff Meyer is back from the road. And I closed the door. I said, all right, man, what the hell is going on here? This is like, you know, I got the job probably middle of June, end of June. And this is like, you know, I don't know. July 4th, July 6th, 10th. When I've only been there a few. I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? He goes, you don't know? I go, no. I go, what's going on? He goes, oh, hell, we're under NCAA investigation. And I'll never forget. I said, you mean for that Oklahoma stuff? And he looks at me. He goes, no. These dumbasses were cheating here. <laughs> and I looked at him. I go, you have got to be, you know, shitting me. Yeah. He goes, no. He goes, Dan, you did. I go, Jeff. I had no freaking idea. Didn't even think it was possible they were that stupid. Um, but they were. So and he goes, oh, he goes, I'm going to tell you something. By the end of the year, you're going to be the head coach in Indiana. I go, what are you talking about? I go, what are you talking He goes, this is going to get bad, Dan. Well, anyway, you know, you go through the season. And the night before, Midnight Madness, they were going to fire Samson. I can't remember all this stuff. I actually wrote it down. I have to find my notes. But something broke. We had a we had a big meeting in the in the film room before, like there's seventeen thousand people out there, and I'm not being. I don't think I'm being too far off. I don't remember exactly, but I'm not so sure they're not gonna fire Calvin Sampson. Sampson had to go out to the president's house that night. So yeah, I I did. <laughs> I remember going, oh man, I'm just so glad I'm not involved in any of this crap, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, but I'll never forget. We close the door, and Jeff goes, "You don't know," and I said, "You're talking about Oklahoma." <laughs> you know, no, they did the same crap here. And I'm like, "You've got," and it was literally, I mean, it was literally the same stuff. Like, right. Which, looking back, okay, maybe it's not that big a deal. But the truth of the matter is, the rules are the rules, and you already been caught once. No, I swear to you, on my children, I never thought if you're gonna get caught again, I figure. You know, if you're dumb enough to pay players or whatever, but not doing the same stuff that you just got nabbed for. So when did you – so that's when you realized the coaching staff had issues with, with the Chiefs. Yeah, But yeah. there was a bigger I – don't, I don't want to say bigger issue. There was an equally important issue going on at the same time, which was the, the makeup of the team was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you realize that? And if you can – I know you have been careful – not you haven't been careful in your words about how bad it was, but you don't name names typically. Well, the the what? deal was this: like all that stuff was very private with Samson Senderoff um, and the administration, and and it was it was kind of when the season started that all right, man. A lot of these dudes are smoking dope, and a lot of these dudes are going to get suspended. I never knew, and this is show you how dumb I am. I just didn't deal with. It. I had a rule at Bowling Green: if you uh, if you get caught with drugs, I'm kicking you off the team, and if you you know abuse women, I'm kicking you off the team. And so I, I didn't even mess with. It. I kicked one kid off. I didn't even know it was a three game suspension. Then all of a sudden, I think Armand Bassett got a three game suspension. I'm like, what the hell? Do you, you know, I'm on the staff. 
I'm like, what the hell did he get suspended for? Like, well, you know, I got failed a drug test. And then it was like, all right, now what, 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 you know, what's really going on? Because the truth of the matter is, is as a, as a director of operations with Indiana underneath um, the cloud of an NCAA thing, you, they weren't, nobody was talking much. I mean, let's put it to you that way. It was, that was all very kept in house. Um, but then it was like, all right, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where I get there, the players are already there. And, you know, next thing you know, they're gone because they don't stay all summer. They leave in August. And so, you know, you're doing other things. You're moving your family. Uh, I left for kind of a week to go watch my son play baseball. So it was like, and then all of a sudden when everybody's back in September, you know, you've, oh man, look at this. This is bad. And, uh, so, you know, pretty much September then. As you are assessing the the damage, as it were, do you do you take it personally? Or are you like, this is my school, this is my alma mater? Oh, I was hostile. I yeah, was hostile. Right? Yeah, like- I, was, I, was, I was so, I, I was hostile. I'll never forget, Senderoff told me when I came to interview, like I was sitting there and he tells me how there's a new sheriff in town. Like, Basically, they all felt like any Bobby Knight stuff was out the window. And that was the approach. That was the attitude of the staff. That was the attitude of, of I felt like that was the attitude of everybody uh, in Greenspan's administration. Uh, and I understood that I was brought in there as a PR thing. But, hey, I needed a job. It's in Bloomington, and I can give, give a rat's ass. Um, but it, that was really a big part of it. And so I'm like, well, what the hell are you guys doing? Why, why do we have the – and I'll never forget it was um, – gosh darn it. It was McGee's mother and maybe grandmother came in during this time. And I, it was me and Samson and McGee's mother. And I got so tired of listening to bullshit that I just went off. And Samson's like, hey, you can't do that. I'm like, well – we can't have dudes smoking weed. We can't have dudes freaking acting like idiots. Uh, yeah, but you can't do that with to a parent and a grandmother. I go, no, they're making excuses. They're going to make us look the bad guy. I'm not taking, you know, so anyway. Um, and then when I took the job, I told Greenspan, I said, look, let's just get rid of five guys. I said, I, you know, I, I don't care. I mean, I'll take the heat. I'll take whatever people want to say. Rip me anyway. I, I don't care. And uh, he's like, damn, we can't do that. It's not in the best interest in Indiana, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, all right, well, it, you know, then we need baselines on where they're at with weed right now. And if, if they, you know, if, if they're not going to go to class, I'm going to run their ass. And if they're not going to go to, if, if, if they're going to smoke weed, I'm suspending them. It's that simple. And yeah, okay, that's fine. That's what we want. That's what we need. Blah, blah. I go, okay, well, then fine. And so... So you were not allowed to kick. You were not allowed to do what you wanted to do when you took. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's not allowed. Like you know, you can. Let me put it to you this way: there's a, there's a lot of reasons why you don't kick five kids off of a team, right. and they were they were made clear to me. And my thing was, well, I don't care. I go, look, it's you. It's it's kind of weird. Like it's it's kind of like this is your program, this, and it really did feel that way to me like this is your program this is the program you all decided you wanted to have mm-hmm. when bob knight was no good and you didn't want to hire i told you, you didn't want to hire john beeline because it came down to beeline and samson and you wanted calvin samson this is the program you wanted to have I'll, I'll clean it up i'll do whatever the hell you want me to do i don't care i don't care about 
how I'm going to be perceived. I'm tired of the blah, 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 whatever. And um, so I'm like, I basically kind of said, all right, then here's what we're going to do. Then they're going to class. They're not missing a tutor. They're not, you know, and if they do, they're going to, I'm running their ass. And if they don't like it, then they're probably going to get kicked off anyway. And you know what? If anybody smokes weed, they're suspended. So that's just the way, you know, that's what is happening from this moment forward then. And that's what happened. In your heart of hearts, did you see yourself as, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to wipe, wipe the slate clean so somebody can come in here and, and start from scratch with, with a, a clean program? Or did you deep down hope that they would give you a shot for, for at least a couple of seasons and see how it turned out? Oh, I don't think either. Um, it's like I had a bunch of coaches tell me that you're being a dumbass. You should let them smoke weed. You should let them do what they've been doing. Keep them happy. Get the job and then kick everybody off and then do what you need to do because otherwise uh, you're going to lose games. You're going to lose your team. You're going to lose games. And um, you're going to be in an empty assembly hall saying, hey, I did the right thing. And no one's going to be there to pay attention. There's going to be a new coach in there. So, but I, don't, I never lost a moment's sleep out of it. I never, you know, I never have felt like it, I would have lost a moment's sleep if I didn't do what I think was right. And that's how I dealt with West Virginia when I left there. And that's how I dealt with Indiana. I did know by the end, though, that the people I was dealing with in the administration um, didn't give a rat's ass about um, any about doing things right. I'm not saying they didn't want to do things right. I'm just saying in, in terms of me, they didn't care even a little bit. Like I used to have meeting with Greenspan every every Monday. And I'm like, okay, here's what we did, blah, 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 blah. Well, once we lost a couple games, Games, those meetings stopped and I knew I'm like all right so this isn't really about doing this the right way this is simply about you know now that we've lost a couple games I'm not going to be the head coach so he doesn't have time for me anymore which which is fine and I'll never forget I'm on the plane after we lost to Arkansas and some jackass uh assistant athletic director my wife and I sit down and there's like a first class segment and, and she kicks us out and sends us to the back and I look at her, and I'm like, and I'm like, team's on the play. I'm like, all right. I don't say nothing. And then Greenspan, you know, he gets embarrassed. And Dr. Rink's like, Dan, you can sit up here. We're like, no, nah, we're good, man. We're good. I just knew. I just knew that this wasn't uh, – they didn't care even a little bit about me cleaning this up once we lost a couple games. They wanted that team. So, and, and as I said, all they had to do was tell me. And I just said, all right, yeah, keep smoking. I couldn't have done that, actually. Right. I, could, I couldn't have done that at Indiana. Uh, I could never have done that. So uh, just on a human level, you had given a big portion of your life at this point to Indiana University. Four years flying. I mean, a big portion. And then you're in it. You see what's going wrong. You try to voice how they need to fix it. And they decide after that year to go a different direction. And they hire, of course, Tom Crean. Now, I, I know me... And if that happened to me, I'd be pissed off. I mean, just on a human level, I would be pissed that this place that I loved and that I think I gave everything to didn't hire me when all I did was bust my ass for them. Did you not feel that? Yeah. um, Truthfully, I was kind of disgusted by the whole place by the time I left. Okay. I mean, it was like, this is what you all become. This is what you all want. 
God bless you. And my daughter, who was oh, sixth, seventh grade at the time, was like, Dad, I'm so glad you're not coaching. And I'm not going to lie to you. I got bored coaching. I literally, I got bored. I got bored as a human being. Like, you know, I got, I, I'm, I'm not very smart, but I never understood the logic of 50-something-year-old men chasing around 18-year-olds, having to call them at night. And, and I got really bored with it. And I didn't realize how bored I got until I realized what a great life you have outside of coaching. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm so much a better rounded person. And I kind of knew at the time, but part of it was just disgust. So they weren't going to give me an interview, but just to be a jackass, I called, uh, what's his name? Uh, shoot. He's the old quarterback that shows up on every freaking, uh, uh, commit, uh, Harry Gonzo. Oh yeah. And, and Harry gave me some bullshit about, well, I, Dan, I was just going to call you and set up an interview. I'm like, okay, Harry. Yeah. Okay. Pull this in place. Jingle bells. So I, <laughs> so I went into the interview and they're like, well, Harry doesn't know much about basketball. I'm like, well, why is he heading a committee? If you don't know, what about, oh, just make sure you have something in a, in a, in a, in a uh, binder that you can leave him so he understands what you're trying to accomplish here. So I'm like, you know what? I, I'm the wrong person. I'm just bad at that. I, 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 I base things on being able to look in the mirror. And I'm like, blank you. I'm not bringing shit. If he, if he doesn't know anything about it, I'm going to, you know, so I interviewed with him and I'll never forget. I walk out and I remember thinking, this guy doesn't know anything. Like, mm-hmm. like, He's like, well, Dan, you know, we'd love to hire you. We think, but, but, you know, that three and four record. Hey, man, don't sweat it. I go, I'm just. I go, you, you, if you do hire me, I go, I guarantee you, within within two weeks, I'm gonna go on a tour, and the whole fan base will love me, and you don't even worry about it. And that, but, but I didn't leave him anything. I didn't, I didn't leave him a right. binder. <laughs> I got a good one. I got a great one that a lot of coaches have used. But I, you know what? I thought, I don't know why I did that. But anyway. Um, I just kind of didn't want to work there. And truthfully, I was bored as hell with coaching. I really was. I was kind of bored with looking back on it. I was really bored. I was bored watching the same films. I don't know. I just, I've always felt like, I don't know, I'm weird. I've always felt like there's more. There's, I always look at things a little bit differently. And I always feel like there's more out there, whether it's radio, TV, getting to coach my, my son's. AU team, getting to coach my daughter's sixth grade team, getting to coach Tracy Smith and I coached our kids in baseball. I mean, I just really liked all that. And I liked it far more than sitting there trying to beg an 18-year-old not to smoke weed and come to Indiana. So so you decided to have a life. (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny you say it that way because we rented a little house when I moved to Bloomington. And it was really a little house. And my son, who was used to a bigger house in Bowling Green, like hit the deck when he saw how small his room was. (laughs) But I loved it because everybody was on top of each other. And I'm sitting outside. We had this little porch and, you know, these chairs. And my daughter comes out. I don't know how old she was, sixth grade, whatever. And she's like, Dad, I'm so glad you're not going to coach because we can have a life together. And I looked at her. I go, well, you realize Coach Green's going to make about $20, 22000000 million over the quarter. And she's like, hey, Dad, I don't care. We're going to have a great life. And she said that. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, at least, you know, that shows sad in one way. That it shows maybe the stress I put on my kids through mm-hmm. coaching. But kind of cool in another way that, 
she was looking ahead. So, and we did, and we have, and, and uh, it's been great. Well, before we, we kind of get into some of that, we always like to talk to people that lived in Bloomington for four years, let alone how many years you lived there. <laughs> we like to talk to them about favorite Bloomington establishments. So, favorite pizza. Oh, man, I like Nick's, and I like Nick's sausage pizza because I like, I like Nick's sausage and I like Nick's uh, pickles. So right. I would say Nick's pick pizzas, yeah. So, so does that lead to your favorite bar? Well, yeah. I mean, look, there's a couple like – when you're, when you're a student – like when I was a student, everybody went to the Crazy Horse or the Reg when I was young or the, uh, you know, Bluebird. But when you're a little older, it's probably more judicious not to go to the upstairs or Kilroy. So, yes, <laughs> yes. Nick's, you can get away with going and, and having eight million beers in Nick's. You just say, look, I was there for the Stromboli. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, what about uh, Beyond Pizza, favorite restaurant in Bloomington? You know what? I absolutely love Zagreb's, and yes. I don't love Zagreb's just for the steaks. I love it for the meatballs. I love it for the ribs. Um, what and about I the lobster? The lobster tail is crazy. Well, you're big. You're bigger time than me. I'm not. <laughs> That's too expensive. Yeah, but I like yeah. it for the atmosphere too. I remember as a, you know, I, I like. And they used to hire the best looking girls. At least you know when I was in college, when when uh, Yanko was running the joint, he. He again Seinfeld the one time one episode where all the women in the uh, in the coffee shop looked a certain way. He he used to hire That's very right. pretty girls. So you know I know it's not politically correct to say that you know he went there because the food was good and the waitresses were cute. But I I, I confess I did. Uh, most hated class that you took? Oh, I took a freaking. Uh, Fortran computer class where literally the professor said, this is the last time Fortran will be used. And we had punch cards. Now, you guys are too young to remember punch cards, but people my age will be like, I guarantee if you took a Twitter poll and said, uh, you're in your 50s, tell me about punch cards, you would hear the most vile language you've ever heard. Because if you drop the punch card, but I'll never forget, the professor said, hey, last time. So I went to him, I go, look, this is the last time we're using this stuff, right? He goes, yep. I go, it's obsolete, right? He goes, yep. I go, how about you just give me a C and I won't come to class? <laughs> and he's like, well, how would Coach Knight feel about that? I said, Coach Knight does not need to know about this. <laughs> it didn't work. And Uwe, uh, anybody that went to Indiana, Chuck Franz, I'm calling you out. Anybody that went to Indiana and had a computer class, during Uwe Blop's time in Bloomington, Uwe did the majority of the work because, <laughs> like, we used to like watching TV. Uwe liked doing computer problems. He was nuts with that stuff. I'm not saying he did it for you, but he did it with you. Yeah, he was sure. America's greatest computer turn. He was. He was. He wouldn't do it for you. He's like, well, you got to sit and listen. <laughs> Sorry, I'll sit and listen. You guys are still buddies, right? He was on your show uh, relatively yeah, recently. Yeah, he's going to come. He comes to visit. In fact, he, my wife has an iconic picture of a coffee cup on top of our uh, cabinets in our kitchen going, I knew a seven foot three guy showed up at our house when I saw this coffee cup up top. So, yep, Oob's coming back. Uh, favorite memory from Bloomington as a student, but nothing to do with basketball. Uh, man, let me see. I remember going out to Lake Monroe with a bunch of, bunch, bunch of people and I have no idea. And I've tried to find it and going out on a rocks on a, on a, uh, 
there's a rope swing somewhere. And I remember, you know how you feel like you're skipping school, like that feeling that yeah. you're skipping school? Well, I remember we didn't have any practice. Season was just over. It was a really nice day, and it was like 3 o'clock when we'd normally be, you know, practicing. And I remember sitting there looking around thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. And if I didn't have basketball, I would either be – Flunked out of college or a freaking alcoholic, one of the two. Because <laughs> it was so cool not to have anything at 3 o'clock. And here we are out at Lake Monroe swinging in some freaking rope swing and just sitting there having a couple beers and not a care in the world, man. I'll never forget that day. That's great. Well, as a uh, fellow telecommunications major, uh, who uh, <laughs> and and that is what I have used for my career. You put your telecom uh, degree to work later after coaching, and it has worked out very well. First as an ESPN uh, color commentator, which you are one of the most in demand and highest profile color commentators in college basketball, and then of course your radio show. And what is interesting. And I'm sure you, you saw this as well because you commented. When I put out on Twitter that we were going to interview you, it's no uh, secret to you, I'm sure, that you are a polarizing figure in the world of Indiana basketball. Bit of a lightning rod. A bit, which I do think you enjoy. <laughs> I do think you enjoy Um, that. I'll be honest with you. I do, but I, this is going to sound cr- – I, I don't put out stuff I don't believe now. I will say this. Sometimes I look at it and say, oh, that was a jackass thing to say or a jackass thing to do, like the whole uh, Langford turned five into 14 or whatever it was. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, but sometimes, the, as my wife says, my brain doesn't ever stop. It's just, it's, you know, and if I were a kid, I think I'd have, you know, 16 different kind of meds and all kind of initials for my wife. But um, I just try to tell the truth. My, again, my perspective is different. I get that people say, well, you're bitter. Uh, couldn't be farther from the truth. But I get that's easy, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. easy to say you didn't get the job, so you're bitter. Could not be farther from the truth. I've never enjoyed my life more than I have enjoyed the last four or five years. And, and that's through a divorce and through not getting a job. You know, that, you know um, I, I couldn't be less bitter. Uh, you want Indiana not to succeed. Couldn't be more f- farther from the truth. What I what I want, and people say, well, you're mad because Alford didn't get the job. No, I'm not. I, I, I People ask me my opinion on who should be the coach at Indiana. And before they hired anybody, I said, look, we've gone long enough without an Indiana guy or an Indiana culture coming back. It's been, you know, 18 years. So, um, yeah, I wanted Steve to get the job, but I don't care that he didn't. That's, you know, I mean, if Archie's, if Archie's going to win, like I thought I was very honest with Crean and, and actually Tom has told me he appreciated it when I said, you know, Tom's trying to trick people with all this talk. He needs to just be quiet and go to work. And he did. And he started winning. And, and for me, Archie, uh, I want Archie to succeed. I want Indiana basketball to succeed. Um, but if you're not going to coach him and you're going to be and you're going to be beholden as I thought they were to uh, Romeo Langford, you know that's kind of not the way Indiana basketball has always been about. So let's. I want to just back up if you Go don't ahead. mind and yeah. t- talk about a couple of them. So let's talk about the Romeo tweet, which you basically just said that was a jackass thing to say. Yeah. But when you put a tweet out like that, which you know, like you said, you said something like. 
he was going to be the fifth pick of the draft, dropped to 14. Yeah. And, and you can understand how anyone reading that thinks that's a shot against Archie and his player development. That, that it's it is. Okay. So when you say, now say it was a jackass thing to say, my question to you is, do you still believe the tweet and that you were right that Archie is to blame for his drop and the player development is suspect? Or do you regret that maybe you do you are you saying you maybe were wrong about it which one of those well, I, I don't true? think i'm wrong about it because okay. when you look at it, yes there's a few guys that didn't get picked but generally what happens is this and this is what i've said on my show if i was going to take the time and really write it out i'd say look these are the questions that parents ask now parents are going to ask okay my son came there as a top five kid why is he 14 and cal perry actually just addressed it the other day you know um when you are in the business of one and dones the one-and-done player, and I learned this with Eric Gordon, it usually is a really good kid that has a ton around him. And that part of that ton around him is a competition to be the number one pick, number two, number three, number four, number five. And when you really look at a lot of these players, not all, Bo Bowl didn't, but when you really look at a lot of these players that come out in the top ten, generally they get drafted. And I'm not talking about top ten in your class. I'm talking about top ten in, in drafts prior to – you're going into high school, uh, or excuse me, going into college. You generally get drafted. If you want to be in the business of one and dones, then if a kid comes in at the top five and you want to stay in that business, you damn sure better be getting kids drafted in the top five or, or close. It doesn't happen all the time. And that was kind of my point. But I was sitting during the draft talking to a lot of people, and they're like, look, um, you know, Williamson goes number one. He was number two. Barrett goes number one or number three. He was right there. You know, Romeo really fell from where he started. And we were we were having that discussion. And I just sent that tweet out. But I'll tell you this. I mean, the one interesting thing about it is how people lose their freaking minds. Like one guy, <laughs> one guy still uh, some some uh, wet uh, shoot. Uh, he's still arguing with people about a tweet. And it, that's when I'm like, look, man. Um, just, just it, it, it fascinates me that people get that worked up about something that I say. To this day, it fascinates me that people get that worked up. Are you an IU fan who just wants what's best for the program, or are you a shock jock that's trying to get people excited no matter you know what the criticism is? I, I'll be honest. I've never one time put something out saying, oh man, I hope this gets a rise and people listen to my show today for me saying something negative. Now, if I have John Feinstein on, I want to people to know, hey, we got John Feinstein on, we'll talk Indiana sure. basketball. But in terms of Indiana basketball's program, I am 1,000% for the program, 1,000%. Hell, I sent my daughter there for the right. university. But, but, this is the way I've decided this year. I watched Romeo Langford score a layup to beat Wisconsin, all right? And I watched assistant coach at Indiana, Ed Schilling, do that bow down to a player, bow, we're not worthy kind of thing. And that's not Indiana basketball to me. Um, to me, Indiana basketball is expecting Romeo Langford to come into Indiana, expecting him to leave as a lottery pick and winning while he's there because he's playing for Indiana and everybody else there. Clearly, you don't lose 12 games in a row, whatever the hell they lost. Um, I didn't say a word when people said that the – the I didn't say one word, actually, when people said the culture at Indiana needed a change after Bob Knight. 
first off, I was too busy. Second off, I'm like, all right, probably does. Let's see what happens. All right. So then they get Mike Davis. Mike Davis goes through, you know, does well. Then he gets all the stuff. Then they hire Samson. Then I go to Samson and I see all the nonsense, right? And then all of a sudden they're going to hire Crane. All right. Well, Crane's kind of a talker. And all right, I rip him because, you know what? And, and, and then I don't when he does well. All right. Now we don't think Crane's good enough. We didn't think Sam, well, Samson was cheating. Mike Davis loses his mind or whatever happens. Now we're about 17 years in. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, how about we give an Indiana guy a shot? So that's when I first publicly said, hey, look, I think Alford should be the coach because I didn't care if it was Alford or whoever. But, what you know, we've gone long enough. Well, Archie comes in. I support Archie. I got him on my show, blah, 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 blah. But, but my thing with Indiana is this. I want Indiana to win. I don't care if you're the coach. I don't care who's the coach. I'm past the point of, well, you know, uh, we need to get away from Bobby Knight. No, I want Indiana to win. And when I see it poorly coached, when I see a kid come in there who's not playing for Indiana, I see players quit during the season, I see guys lose 12 games in a row and really not be competitive in most of them, it is, it is not my job to call them out. It is who I am to call them out because of my past history with Indiana. And look – I totally get that online fans get upset about it. I totally get it. The one thing I've learned, and I did not know this when I started ESPN, fans just want to hear good stuff about their program. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've learned that. Well, it's amazing after a game how I'm a homer against Indiana and I'm a homer for Indiana. All I got to do is broadcast how much I hate. Michigan versus Michigan State. I'll never forget this year, Big Ten. Doc hates Michigan because his son transferred there. Michigan State people say, oh, Doc loves Michigan because his kid played there. You can't win that battle. All I do is this. I swear to you this is the case, and anybody that knows me knows it's the case. All I simply do is tell you what I think based on my experiences. There's not been one day I, I think, well, I'm going to put a shock jock thing out there. The thing with Romeo the other day was based on a conversation I was having with a bunch of guys. Um, on on uh, uh, We were texting a bunch of guys, and, and NBA, uh, NBA scouts and a couple of guys at ESPN. And I just put out there, you know what, four became 15 because that was part of our conversation or four, five became 14, whatever it was. And I'm like, nah, that's a jackass thing. Now, I would say I'm a shock jock if I keep the thing out there. And, you know, so finally I just said, look, I'll, I'll talk about this tomorrow. Um, but I get it. Like, look, guys that don't like me are never going to change their minds, ever. And people that, that like you, Pretty much always like it. It's like when anybody starts talking politics to me, I go, look, you're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind. How about we just have a beer and forget about it? I mean, because that's <laughs> the way. So I am a massive Indiana fan. My, I went there at 18. I left at 34. I have seen Indiana become what I, don't, what I do not like. I told Fred Glass, and I've been very open with, my, with Coach Knight, my dislike for him, and I've told him that. I told Fred Glass, look, you're going to become like every other school. We don't have an identity. I got basically pushed aside, and that's cool. That's Fred's prerogative. But when Archie was doing well, when they've played well, I've said they've played well, and when they lose 12 in a row, I don't know how – I mean, I, I know there's a big difference between online people and real people. 
I went to the Cubs game the other day. I cannot tell you how many IU alums stopped me and said, man, thank goodness you're honest, blah, 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 blah. So I get it. I totally get it. So it's, it's weird for me because I look at Archie Miller and I think of a guy that coach Dan Dockich would really like. He's, he, I would, I would look at Tom Crean on paper and think of a guy that coach Dockich would maybe not love initially because it seemed like coach Crean was a lot about style and sizzle and the rah, rah stuff that didn't necessarily translate to anything clapping. And, and it seems and deflection talk. And it seems Archie, and again, this is just from a fan coach, so I'm just yeah. giving you my perspective. He seems more like a grinder, blue collar, just get to work. Don't use the press conference as a way to like uh, put a PR spin on anything. Just like get through it and then go back and coach his team. I would think you would respond more to that. And I, I don't care personally about either. Okay. Like only thing I care about at this point is like Indiana needs to win. Yes. Well, let me... I, I mean, I, I don't care about the personality of each. Indiana needs to win. Right. And to me, when you look at Indiana and I say, all right, you're going to lose 12 games in a row. You're not going to change the starting lineup. You're going to lose 12 games in a row. And if I sat there with you and I watched and I showed you Romeo Langford playing defense uh, in the beginning, you, you'd be like, oh, my God. Like, you'd be, holy cow. And that's what a coach is supposed to do, right? A coach is supposed to figure it out. I mean, coaching's, you know, so – so to me, I don't care. Like I like my daughter. People don't know this. My daughter works for Archie Miller. My daughter drives Archie Miller's daughter to Indianapolis um, two days a week or whatever it was during the school year. So I don't. I'd like him. I like Cream. I I don't. But I don't care. My thing right, right. now is and 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 I don't ever share these things. But I get texts from former players saying, "Thank God." Thank God you're being honest. Thank God somebody is being honest here. And that's that to me is who I kind of answer to. And I get like, what is it, 2% of people are online or use Twitter or 20% use it. It's so different for me personally when I go to Indiana yeah, and sure. or I go to Cubs as opposed to listening to some guy that's hiding behind a fake Twitter handle ripping my ass yeah, it's, so, if the stat is something like only two percent of people in the right. world uh, account for 90 percent of the tweets in right, I mean, right. And, and look here's the other thing and the other thing that people people say well you block people that dislike you no i don't in fact i get in trouble espn will call me and say look stop arguing with people because i argue with people oftentimes on twitter that that disagree with me i block people that either swear uh, or or become complete pains in the ass where everything that's said becomes ripped. Like, I got this one guy, he's on three days of ripping me for a tweet. It's like, all right, I, I'm just, you know, I'm done with it. I, I, I want to move on. I know, but you do have fun with it. Because yesterday, in an exchange, someone wanted to know why, they wanted me to ask you why you block people, and you just explained why. And you... You on Twitter said, I'll take that. And you answered the question. Yeah. And then you said, all right, back to blocking you now. Yeah. I mean, you are, you're an entertainer, coach. I mean, you are. I mean, whether or not you're doing it for ratings, I believe you. I take you at your word. But you are enjoying toying with the crazies online because it is fun. It's, let me tell you something. I was one of those guys that literally, 
literally got to work at six in the morning and got home at 10 at night. Now I work three hours a freaking day. So part of it is <laughs> filling time. If you want to know the truth. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, but I've never, I swear to you. And I know people always say, well, he's doing it for range. So I always say, let me ask you a question. Is a sales guy doing something for sales? Is a, is a preacher doing something to put people in his seats? Is, is a company showing advertisements to get people to buy their stuff? But I will also say this, true story. I just got a bonus the other day for ratings. I didn't even know I was getting it. I do not, I never pay attention ever. Not once. I figure, you know what? I'm a, I'm a, and it's worked out for me. I'm not paying attention because I don't even know how it works. I know. I do not. Coach, I work in TV. Let me tell you something. The people that are successful never worry about the ratings. That's the truth. I swear to God, like, I did not know I was getting a bonus. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, man, you, you're getting a bonus. It's like the 20th. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Like, I don't even know when the ratings periods are over. <laughs> like, like, so people say, well, you're doing that for ratings. And I, I say, okay, well, what, what are my ratings? Um, I'm doing it because, truthfully, I'm bored. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and in Indiana's case, I'm tired of watching Indiana be bad. Well, well, like, that's- I... Let me, let me, but the last thing I'm yeah. tired of having to, one of the things that I always loved about playing basketball at Indiana, two things, one on campus, you were always respected, not as a dumb jock. I've never been considered a dumb jock. My high school was a good high school and people knew that if you didn't go to class, you didn't do the right stuff. Coach Knight was going to kill you. So that was respected on campus. The other thing that I've always been respect, loved about being from Indiana as a player is that people Oh man, you guys, Bobby Knight is great, right? Well, now it's gone to having to defend having played at Indiana, and I don't like it. I get tired of it. I've had enough of it. And so, look, if 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 in my little warped world, if doing my little part is being demanding of Indiana University as a basketball program, Archie Miller is a head coach, and so be it. No, and look, what we got into doing this because we feel. Uh, one that the program still needs to come back together that it was fractured uh, when coach Knight was let go and is never fully healed from that but I think the real balm the real panacea is going to be winning so if we right. could, if we could get back to Archie for a second you've forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know and everybody on Twitter will ever know. So could you give us a little bit more of analysis of what you've seen Archie, including his time at Dayton and his first two years at IU? What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? And look, he's only 40. Could he improve? Could he get better? Could Archie get us back to the Final Four? Well, here's the deal. With uh, let me ask, let me go backwards on your question. Absolutely, he better improve. I mean, he, you know. But here's the deal: when you come to Indiana and you got a fan base that's you know, okay, we heard about Mike Davis had to be the coach. Okay, Calvin Sampson had to be the coach. I was the interim coach. Here comes Crean. He's the next guy. At some point, fan bases say, look, I don't give a damn how young you are. We just want to win. And the beauty of Indiana is, and Indiana is the only school that would have ever fired Calvin Sampson in the middle of the year like that. And that 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 makes me, that, that kind of in certain ways as I've gotten, you know, around other programs, particularly when you see what's happening in Arizona, you see what's happening at LSU, that makes me love Indiana more. Um, but do I, Archie Miller's strength. I think Archie Miller, there are times when Archie Miller play, Archie Miller's teams play very, very, very good defense. I think that they, 
He understands the pack line defense. I think they get, he gets guys when they decide to play, uh, playing. Clearly something happened with last year's team. And, and look, one of the things that I don't do, and people, if I was a real shock jock, let me tell you what I would do. I just got yesterday from a kid named Alex. I'm not going to say his last name. This whole litany of what transpired on Indiana's team last year internally. So if I'm a shock jock, that, I mean, I put that out all over the place. I don't care about that stuff because I'm not there, so I don't know. If I'm there, even when I was there at Indiana, I never talked about any of the stuff until it really pretty much came out. So I don't care about the rumors of what Romeo did or who did what or where, you know, blah, 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 blah. Where are you going? Oh, I got new dogs. We got to go buy toys now, for Christ's sake. <laughs> anyway. That's a rescue dog, though, right? You got a rescue yeah, dog. Yeah, it is. Good yes. for you. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, Wait, what's so the dog's name? What's the dog's name? We haven't decided yet. I want to name it Uve, but but I don't <laughs> yes, know it's a girl, yes. so I don't know how that's going to go. I'll name it Uve or Archie, one of the two. All right, there we but go. But anyway, um, I think offensively, Indiana's behind. I, I even, you know, my wife was a great college coach. Took uh, Syracuse of all places to basically within one pitch of going to the College World Series. She's all American. She's leading all-time winning as softball coach at Syracuse and Bowling Green. She was dumb enough to quit to come marry me. Okay, she's watching. She goes, Dan, I don't know nothing about nothing. But why is the best player keep standing in the corner? I go, I don't know. Uh, you know, because I don't know. Well, the truth of the matter is, I think offensively. Uh, Indiana is, is, is behind. You need to be innovative. You need to figure out where points are coming from. And I think that's a weakness. And when you've got a guy that you can throw it to on the block in Juwan Morgan, who a lot of people felt like was the best one-on-one post score uh, in the Big Ten, and then you got a guy like Romeo Langford, you gotta, you got to figure this out. So I do think, and I've been very vocal on that. And the one thing I don't like is people say to me, well, you take personal shots. I don't take any personal shots. I simply say, look, Romeo Langford didn't come to Indiana to play at Indiana. Romeo Langford came because he had to come for a year, and he, and he was a shoe guy. He played for a shoe company. Um, first shoe guy I ever saw at Indiana was Luke Recker. Luke Recker came to Indiana and had Nike guys with him. So this isn't a new thing. You know, this is a, this is a different thing. And But those do I think uh, – do I think – that Archie can take Indiana to the Final Four. I do. I mean, look, he got he he got to the Final Eight, um, but he's going to have to. There's going to have to be an identity, and to me anyway, Archie's best bet because I think he's a pretty good defensive coach, and he's shown at times where they're really tough to play against. I think that has to lead the way. So I, I want to go back on something you said. You don't sure take personal shots, and that's where I think I think there's a a perspective from the people that don't like you that think you do take personal shots. And for example, you were very critical at the article that came out and the innuendo about Tom Ostrom. That's fair to say, right? You were critical. Well, about yeah, it. I read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't know if Tom Ostrom is playing in the gray area, right? You've heard, you read, but can, can you see why an Indiana fan would think if you're out there and you've got, I mean, coach, you have the most important voice in Indiana basketball. I mean, you do, whether mm -hmm. you want it or not, you do. Yeah. And, and so when you come out and say things that basically are saying this guy's dirty, which is the implication, if not the flat out statement, 
I do think people look at that and go, that's a personal shot where you don't necessarily, unless you do know 100%, and I don't know if you know 100%, but I'm guessing you don't 100%, that feels like you're coming after them in a way with a very big microphone that hurts the program. Does that, do you and buy I will, that? Well, sure. And and you know what? If Indiana is going to show up uh, in the New York Washington Post, um, as being involved in that stuff, I will always say that. And I've said that before. I've said that to Crane. I'll say that to anybody. Look, um, what it really hit me, and I was doing a show that day, when I read, I was living in Bloomington, picked, had the newspaper, Indiana goes on probation. That pissed me off so mad. Mm-hmm. Um, and now all of a sudden you read, and here's Tom Ostrom's name in, a, a, uh, in an article. Well, I didn't see Purdue's name in an article. I I didn't I didn't see Michigan's name in an article. I didn't see so why would it be there? And my thing is, and I and and I've said this, you put Indiana basketball on probation, uh, or you or or you're involved in anything, I'm gonna talk about it and I'm gonna rip it on it because it shouldn't be in there. Michigan's name Michigan I didn't, I've never seen Beeline's name in any article anywhere. I've never seen Purdue's name in any article with that stuff anywhere. And if, if it hurts the program, I, I would argue this. I would argue that it hurts the program more to go on probation. Or I would I would argue that it hurts the program more to be involved, have your name mentioned in a uh, in I, an article. I think you're 100% right if it's true. Well, I don't know. All I know is right. this. All I know is it was a tape recording played in federal court. Right. Look, is, and you just mentioned Arizona. And, like, I don't feel like this is something that's ever discussed. Our coach is brothers with the head coach of Arizona. Our coach recruited for his brother. I mean, is is this something we should be worried about culturally? I think you should have been worried about it. Let me put it this way. When a federal trial gets announced and your brother's on trial and you worked for him, and you're a coach, and, and, and he's coaching at your school. I do think that before the federal trial, you had to think about it, but, but nothing ever came out on Archie, you know, in terms of that stuff. And so, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, look, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just know that I haven't read anything about anybody uh, over the last, you know, few months. So, uh, um, you know, let me ask you about Romeo again, because I think yeah. everything you, you, when you talk about Romeo just standing in the corner, and you put that on the coaches, which is fair. I mean, that is 100% fair. When you say things like he's not playing for Indiana, that is a little bit of a shot because the truth is none of us know what's in his head. None of us know what's in his heart. He All sees- right, I'll give you that, but I'll also say that, you know, I've been in this 30 years. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I've seen guys, and I've, I've – uh, one of the things – I'm not very smart, but one of the things I can do is tell – and again – uh, I'm not saying he didn't try in games. Hell, he had a pretty good year. I mean, you know, uh, but to me, there's a look that, I don't know. I mean, to me, I can just tell these things. And, and there wasn't an desire, in my opinion, to bust it. And if there was, um, you know. I think the year would have been better. I, look, yeah, here's the one fair. thing that I will say, and I've always said this. I've always said this, and I just said it on your program earlier. 
I don't pretend to know the personal stuff going on in a program, who's dating who. And I really don't care because I'm going to tell you something. You get 12 guys together, 15 guys together on an athletic team on campus at Indiana or any campus, there's going to be something going on between somebody's girl and somebody's something. I mean, and, and you know, and I don't, I don't get into that because um, truthfully uh, it just doesn't interest me. And, and, um, but, but when I, I, my job, I'm going to evaluate and I'm going to watch. And I think based on experience, this is where sometimes um, I get frustrated with people because I literally, and I'm being literal here. I literally spent probably the last eight years every day, not eight years, that's a lie, 16 years at Indiana, probably the last five years every day in a film room with Coach Knight from 10 o'clock until about, I don't know, maybe, well, maybe 9.30, 10 o'clock until like one, and then we'd go to lunch, come back, and then do it again after practice from about, uh, I don't know, seven to about 10 every day. So I think I know a little bit about basketball. I think I, you know, so I can tell when somebody's busting it for their squad, busting it for each other, busting it for their team, and I can tell when they're not. And uh, I didn't set out to say that about Romeo, but when the more I watched it, the more me as a former player I said, wait a second, wait a second here. There's something going on with this team. Uh, and the more I watched it, the more I thought, nah, shoe guy, just a shoe guy playing for a shoe company, not, not, not playing for uh, Indiana. And that I've had enough of that as a former player, not as a broadcast. Look, I'll be honest with you. I've said on broadcast, I think Indiana's got a chance to be better next year. I thought on the broadcast in the NIT, Indiana is uh, freer without Romeo. I was surprised they've truthfully, they lost to Wichita State. I, I really thought they would win that game, but I do think they have a chance to be better next year uh, simply because the, they don't have a guy that's just sitting there as a, the main guy not being the Indiana guy. Who are you looking forward to seeing their development next year? Who do you think can really break through for the program? You can name more than one, but if, if we're well, going to get back team, to the if, tournament. If the team's going to be any good, those guards have to be really good. I thought Durham got a little bit better. Like My problem is I don't think anybody's gotten really that much better. Uh, I think Durham has gotten a little bit better. Or Dunham, I never know which one. Durham. It's Durham. Durham. Yeah, yeah, I always screw that up. I do that because <laughs> – um, I'm anxious to see green, but I, you know, the freshman kid coming in Jackson Davis, I think is going to have to have a massive impact. I would love to see, you know, what's going to happen. I think Deron Davis got pretty damn good. And, and, and I think he did it with kind of half of a body. And by that, I mean, he didn't really have an off season, you know, he'd been hurt. Right. So he didn't have an off season where he could fully commit to conditioning. And I'm really anxious to see him and, and, and Jackson Davis. Um, but, and this is a this is you know you you, right, you lose twelve in a row or whatever it was eleven or twelve twelve in a row whatever it was there's something going on there with your team now you can people always do this they always pin it on the guy that's leaving well you know we'll have better leadership without so and so we'll have we won't have the thing with you know Langford no that's 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 it's not that simple it's never that simple there are lingering issues among everything somebody put out a picture of and I forgot about this about you know Justin Smith not hustling different that drove me nuts watching Indiana this year guy and, and I'm not watching the ball I never watched the ball in basketball I watched behind the ball in front of the ball or off the ball and it drove me nuts the lack of energy by people and 
that led me to say what I have said about Indiana. But it isn't a bitterness about a player or a coach. It's simply I want Indiana to win big because I know how much fun it is for the school, for the people, for us, for everybody. And I have pride in the way, you know, we as former players and former coaches went about it. And I want to see that back. It's not nothing. And, I, you know, it's not – look, if – I think I took Archie on his recruiting trip here at Indiana. I don't, I can't remember, but it's nothing against anybody. It's just do better. Right. And if you're not going to do better as a former player, and I got other former players telling me, hey, look, this is crap. I'm going to say it. Well, and something we say is that what, as soon as the fans, and, and I think now we can uh, confirm you are still an Indiana <laughs> fan, is that if we don't hold the program to the highest of standards and demand that we play at a level that gets us back to the final four, then we really are going to be a mediocre program. As soon as we accept mediocrity as a fan base, then we never have a chance at climbing right, back But let out. me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Okay. You mentioned it earlier. I'm a lightning rod. Hated. I, I, I see the tweets leading right. up to me being here, right? Ah, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm the only guy that really does it. And, and I have the most experience behind me to do it. But, oh, he's hated. Fans want to hear good things about their program. And I totally understand it. Look, moms want to hear good things about their kids, right? People want to hear good things about themselves. I totally, completely get that. So let me ask you a question. How do fans hold a program accountable? Well, hopefully more civilized than they have been on Twitter, uh, <laughs> especially going after, you know, individual players. You know, we, we all saw how that played into the Keon Brooks recruitment. But I think it's just, hey, we got a new guy in. We support him. Uh, constructive criticism, hopefully along the way. Hold, if- hold on a second. Here's what here's what you don't understand. All right. Here's what people do not understand. Like you just said, plays into Keon Brooks recruitment. Here's what people do not understand. You gotta, we so often don't give credit to the toughness of the guys actually involved, the coaches, the players. We think any little criticism is so horrible. Oh, my God, you're ruining the program because you're criticizing. Oh, my God, Keon Brooks didn't come here because Indiana fans you know, didn't like it, whatever. That is so far from the truth. Mm. That is so not giving credit to the people that are involved. It's like when the United States women scored 13 goals and everybody lost their mind because of how they celebrated. And somebody on, on the, on the, on TV said, I just wanted to give those poor girls from Thailand a hug. And I'm thinking to myself, how condescending is that? Right. You don't understand. These people are competitors. These people go through crap. These, so the idea that somebody's tweet or somebody's whatever affects anything is, is so, not giving credit to the competitive nature of the people involved. It, it dry, it, that drives me nuts. Like yeah. Archie Miller can handle me saying, Hey, look, get, like, just like cream cream's like, you know, you're right. He's like, shoot, you know, the deflection stuff and the, <laughs> and the, all this stuff. He goes, you're right. I go, I know you just need to, you don't go trick Indiana fans. You shut the hell up and coach your oh, team. He goes, I, you're right. I totally agree with you on that. I think that the only people affected by your criticism are the people who don't agree with you. I really do. I, I right, think, that, right. but, but I do want to say this to you to come back a little bit on something you said that you said, you know, people only want to hear fans only want to hear good things about their program. I disagree somewhat because, Coach, you've got the most successful radio show in 
the country, a huge portion of your audience are Indiana fans. You have Purdue fans, for sure. You have Notre Dame fans. But you have a big portion of fans that are Indiana fans who actually like hearing you critique the program because they think you're an honest broker giving your feelings. The people that don't like it are those 2% that we're talking about. The vocal minority. The vocal crazy people. So while I I do agree it's nice and warm and feels good, my old boss used to say, I love this. I think you'll like this. You may even start using this. My old boss used to say that like uh, like something like, you know, hearing nice and fuzzy things about your program is like peeing in a navy blue suit. It makes you feel warm, but nobody can see anything. So I do think that's true. I, I don't need warm and fuzzy. I appreciate the honest broker stuff. I think you're right. I think where people take exception to you, and again, it's a small minority, is when they think it's crossing the line from just honest broker about stuff to uh, to personal shots. And by the way, there is a percentage of them that no matter what you say will hate you, and you just have to. We all have to just ignore that crap. I mean, that's never. Well, that's what I say. Yeah. Like, I, again, I don't think anything that I've said is personal. If people do, if people feel that way, then tough. Uh, that I will say this, and again, um, to me, uh, and this is probably wrong, but Indiana basketball is personal. Yes. Um, I, as I said, like, I I don't know that. It, there's anybody that gave more to it than I did. I mean, guys played there two, three, four years. I mean, I was there 17 years, and the crap that I took from Coach Knight or getting kids up to go to practice or being there at five, uh, I'm there at four. I mean, working kids out, missing my family. I mean, so, okay. But I also know I'm not going to convince people that don't like me. I'm also going to know that people are going to take this interview, parse it, and say, well, look, he's a hypocrite for this, which is cool. People give me way too much credit. I mean, swear to God. Like, I swear to you, I show up. My wife will say, what are you going to talk about today? And I'll watch Get Up for a little bit or whatever and and try to figure it out. But then it, it, it morphs into something else. Somebody asks me about Indiana, and I'll give the way I honestly feel. Then I'm a troll. I'm this and that. It's like, holy hell, man. People give me way, way, way too much credit um, for my influence, number one, and for, you know, thinking this stuff out to draw listeners or viewers or whatever. I don't do it either. I will agree with half of that. I will agree with you oh. that people give you too much credit for, like, I don't think you're some mastermind twirling his mustache <laughs> behind the scenes. Like, how am I going to how am I gonna screw with Indiana today? I don't think right. that, that's far from the truth. I do think you're wrong about your influence. Uh, you, uh, the relationship t- you, you have with I'm talking about my influence of fans. I'm yeah. not talking about my relationship with fans. I'm talking about my influence on Indiana's program. Okay, I don't have that's any fair. influence on Indiana's program. That's fair. You know, I'm not... No kids going to see what if people really knew the reason decisions were made in recruiting the last thing that of, of good players i'm not talking about like i always say this when mothers get involved on twitter it never works out for the player <laughs> because everybody's so damn sensitive and if you're going to be sensitive on twitter then you're going to get crushed like i told my son the year he got to play i go you're not going to do this because you're a dockage and you're not very smart, but you need to get off goddamn social media yeah. when you're playing because, I mean, I'll fight your battles because, you know, that's what I do. And he's like, I don't need you fighting my battles. I'm going to do what I want to do. I go, okay, you do it. But the influence on recruiting or that stuff, it's 
so minimal, if non-existent. Well, I will also say this. If there's a recruit out there that chooses not to come to Indiana because of something Coach Dockich says on Twitter or on the radio, with all due respect, Coach, I don't want that player coming to Indiana. Right. I right. really don't. You know, hey, let me tell you. I, see, to me, and this is, I'll take it even farther. If somebody comes to Indiana for any reason other than winning, I don't want that player. And, and this is why I said earlier, there's a couple of kids on Twitter that were like, hey, turn up, Bloomington. We're coming to visit. You know, shut up. Like, <laughs> I, you know what, you know. Guys got mad at me, and, and and maybe I maybe I go overboard, but when when Yogi Ferrell had a press conference to announce where he was going, and made a big deal about it. it was kind of first. It was kind of the first one that I saw for Indiana. Now maybe it's happened, but maybe I wasn't paying attention. And I kind of ripped it. I said, "Look, in my world, not your world, not in my world, you come to Indiana." It's about winning in Indiana, and all the other stuff takes care of itself. All the all the all the awards and accolades and being a legend and blah. Well, a guy from some TV station here just called me up and tried to rip me on it. I go, look, his name was Martin. I go, did you play at Indiana? Do you have you been at Indiana? I go, look, for us that played at Indiana, it's ingrained in us that you come to Indiana for one reason and one reason only, and that's to win. Period. Not for your brand. And I, but again. Not saying I'm as up to date as I should be. I understand right. brand, but I also understand that it's been 19 years now. And other than really the Dane Fife, uh, Jeffrey Newton, George Leach, uh, AJ Moye crew, and then, you know, Cody and those guys went a, a title or two. Really, it's been kind of there's no there's no culture. There's no, no it whatever. Sucks. And, it sucks. It right. has sucked so for 19 me, years. <laughs> Right. And so, and so for me, when I look at it, I say, all right, why? I said, well, how many of these guys really came? Like, how many Ted Kitchells are there that were recruited enough, but came to Indiana? All they wanted to do was play, bust their ass, and become a player. How many guys were like Dane Fife uh, or or Jeff Newton who were recruited guys, but really learned not to give a rat's ass? I just want to win, and if I don't play in the NBA, fine. I, Age I'm, I'm undersized. I'm just gonna bust it. Like I look at I look at guys now, and I'm like, man, they don't run back on defense. Man, uh, they don't even get in the stance. Man, there's no help side. Man, they get off 17 to nothing against was it Michigan yeah. or whoever it was in the bracket, and nobody's even nobody even looks angry about. It. I mean, to me, that's what former players see. And I've, you said it, and you're right. I happen to be have the biggest mouthpiece of former players, but that's what we see. And the other interesting thing is, you know, let's be honest, Cody Zeller and Jordan Halls and um, and that whole crew, man, they came to Indiana when it was kind of down, and they built it to a certain point. And, and, and okay, they lost to Syracuse, but damn, it, number one in the country, win the Big Ten, that's pretty good. And truthfully, when they let Tom go, even these guys have said, I may lose you for just a second here, but okay. even these guys have said it to people around the program, what the hell about us? Were we were we meaningless? And those are the guys that busted it hard when Indiana didn't have anything after Samson. So Right. Well, and, and Coach, look, this is something we've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of different players from different eras on our, our fledgling podcast here. I wouldn't call it fledgling. It's been less than we a year. We got Coach Dockich on it. Well, yes. No, I'm not saying we have. <laughs> this Jesus, is my point. Man, talk you got about two a and a half hours. Wait, yeah, talk about a personal guys, shot. 
my host is taking a personal shot. Do you guys have any idea how many times I've gone? Do you have any idea how many times I've gone to the bathroom during this podcast? <laughs> uh, guess what? The, the, micro- the microphone I'm- is good. Yes, we do. <laughs> no, okay, good. I tried to hit mute a number of times, but, you know. So, so look, fledgling has nothing to do with the caliber of our guests. We've gotten to talk to Kent Benson, to Calvert Cheney, to Cody Zeller. What? we we feel is missing is is a cohesion is a feeling of family between these different generations and these different coaches and and Cody had mentioned that after doing the podcast and hearing the Calvert episode he actually reached back out to Calvert and I wonder for you and the other players coaches is it possible to bring the whole family go go all the way back to the Van Arsdales is it possible to bring the whole program together? One, for a big, happy, warm, fuzzy feeling for all of us, right? But two, I can't imagine that isn't going to help the program going forward. I don't know. I mean, I look, when the, when the boys get together, I don't get to sit at the big boy table because I don't win a championship. <laughs> you know, I you know, uh, I have no, you know, I, I don't know. There, There are, first off, I don't think, players think about it them i actually had players go look i want to attend your reunion but god dang all i did was sit around with a bunch of managers and all they did was talk about manager stuff um so i don't i don't know i know this i i know that guys that played are very connected to one another um i know that guys that uh played root like hell for the team um you know coach knight he used to, this is going back, but he used to call guys and rip them for being behind the bench. And Pat Knight and his son, Timmy, used to keep track of who actually went to IU games and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I always thought that was kind of idiotic. But I'll be honest with you, players, you know, like you do or like everybody else, does people kind of move on with their lives. I mean, it doesn't. You know, Coach, it, we're we're here doing this with our lives. We really haven't moved I know, on. I, you know, I, no, it's, like, it's personal. It, it's personal. Well, I, I would love to go to I, I would love to go to reunion, but I'm, you know, whenever it was the last time. But man, I I got a big golf event with my brother and a bunch of friends from. I you know, I mean, it's just it's I get it's, that. it's 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 kind. I, I you know think, it's kind of like that. I I will say this. I I think to Ward's point, we we just talked to uh, John Leskowski not that long ago. Yeah, love Laz. He was amazing. He owns the Culver's, you know, yes. frozen custard and hamburgers restaurant. He told us the team this year came in. Many of the players from the team came in. They had no idea who he was. They didn't go up to him and talk to him. They did. Right. And we, Ward and I, when we got done with that conversation, we're like, how is that possible? How is someone from the program not saying, guys, you want to know what it's like to go play Purdue and how important it is? Head on over to Culver's, grab a burger, and go talk to Laz. That is what bothers me, that while I know it doesn't necessarily equate to wins immediately, and that's all that matters, I do think culture, because you've talked about culture, matters. And the culture and connection to the past matters that's what indiana should be right that well that's what bothers me, me that's why i go back to what i said earlier i i people ask me who should be the head coach and i didn't know archie miller was involved i didn't know nothing. i just said hey man steve off because it's time to get that culture put back together it had been long enough so you know it's not like 
It's not like when Coach Knight get fired. Two thousand and two, two thousand, two thousand. Okay, two thousand. Yeah. So it's not like I'm sitting there in two thousand and three or four saying, "Oh, I long for the Bobby Knight days." I'm just simply saying, "Look, it's been eighteen years, or whenever Archie got hired, seventeen years." And how about trying it? You know, that's the only thing I was saying. And then when they hired Archie, hey, I sent him a text, had him on the show. I've sent him congratulations when he got Romeo. I sent him all kind, but. The truth of the matter is, um, I think personally that stuff does matter. I think personally, but let me let me throw this out to you. What year did you go to college? Ninety five to ninety nine. Ninety six to two thousand. All right, ninety five to ninety nine. So you entered college in in uh, nineteen ninety five. Yep. All right. So these players are here. Let's say two thousand and nineteen. John Laskowski graduated in nineteen seventy five. So nineteen plus twenty five is basically uh, 44 years, right? That's some good math. So you, Quick math. So you got in, you went to Indiana in 1995. Let's go back 44 years, right? Did you know anybody that played basketball at Indiana in 1951? Well, the answer is most likely. I, I didn't heard, either. I had heard of the Van Arsdales. Well, look. I had heard of Branch right. McCracken. Yeah, and right. I feel like if I was right. – a player in the same well, town. The, okay, I, all right, I do that with me. All right, I got to Indiana in 1981, all right? So right. what did I say, 41 years yeah, back? 19, 19, <laughs> 1940, I knew <laughs> they won a national championship, okay? Right. I did know, and I did know the name. I, again, I'm from northern Indiana. The only thing Slick Leonard meant to me was he was coaching the Pacers. I did not know. <laughs> but, but times are different now. We are able to know more players, and that's all I was saying, like, when, when I said hire Alfred so, or whoever, I don't care, right. hire women, whatever, whoever you want to hire. So maybe somebody does. Let's take a swing at trying to, to bring the culture back in terms of helping with wins. That's all the thing I yeah. was saying. And I, in terms of Archie, yeah. I'm all in on Archie, but I also, if you're not going to coach them in a manner with which they don't lose 12 games, I'm, hey, I'm being full if I say, wow, everything's great. Right. Well, and I think that's totally fair. Listen, Coach, you've given us way more time than you should have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we appreciate nah. it. Uh, listen. It shows you. See, now, if this is an example of how boring my life is, I don't know what the <laughs> That is fair. That is fair. And and it should be a testament to how boring our life is that this is our high point. I was going to say. This is our high point. Yeah, but it's only it's only 8.15. You guys can still get to work. I mean, I, this shows you what I do in the morning. I sit around and. I don't know what the hell I do in the morning if I'm not on a pie. I sit around. Yeah, so there, well, there you go. The, the problem for I us appreciate is appreciate you guys having me on. I really do. Well, look, the problem for us is this is the high water mark for our day, so we're just shutting it down from here on out. <laughs> me too. Thank you for taking the time to to take us through all your time there at IU, and I just know I feel better going forward, being like, look, we're all going to criticize the program. Eric and I do. Uh, other people do online. We do in conversations with buddies uh, in, in text messages. But it's because we just want it to get better. It's not because we're trying to tear it down. And, and I hope after they hear your perspective for a couple of hours, they'll have a little more understanding to that. Well, I hope after hearing it for a couple hours, they don't run and blow their heads off. <laughs> well, that's fair, too. Listen, just to wrap it up, Coach, uh, I, I wanted to get into a little bit of uh, the stuff you're doing outside of basketball totally. What you're doing with uh, providing bikes for less fortunate kids is an amazing, amazing thing. 
uh, th there is just no way to put a price on how important giving something like that is to a kid. And I will tell you that you didn't give me a bike uh, 37 years ago or however many, many years it was, but you put your arm around me at Bobby Knight's camp, and uh, that went a long way in making me an Indiana fan, truthfully, and a big fan of yours over the years. And you are well, someone. Well, thank you. You've given, you've given more of your life to Indiana than anyone who is critiquing you for it. And uh, I, I love what you're doing out there. I think you're entertaining as hell. I think you're funny as hell. You're really good at, uh, at the radio thing. I think you should continue that. Look, and your analysis is great. Like, I love watching games you're commentating on because I learn more about the game of basketball. And I really appreciate well, that. That is absolutely true. Coach, you're a Hoosier. You're always going to be a Hoosier. And I can't thank you enough for coming on this and talking to us. Oh, you kidding me? I can't thank you enough for having me on. Thank you for Thanks, having me. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate really you. appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, Hoosier hysterics. Hoosier hysterics. Wow. <laughs> well, look, there were a ton of tweets leading up to this. I loved it. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of what he says. I agree with a lot of what he I says. I agree with a lot of what he says. I, but, like, with any human. I don't agree with anyone all the time, period. I don't agree with you. Like, no, that was the whole premise right. of this podcast, so, is we disagree on stuff then, about Indiana basketball and, and having we like those each debates. Other. It's, it's fun. And I don't think, like, I do think we should just keep in mind, it's 2% of people that account for, like, 90% of the tweets. So... The and you're, you're one of that 2%. I am one of the a very small percentage of that. Uh, it was great to talk to him. He's from the same area that my dad is from, so I kind of get that mentality. My dad worked the railroads and, and worked the at the region, steel mill. The region, baby, the region. Yeah, and, and yeah, I kind of get his mentality a little bit, and I like it. Uh, I also think people – I do think people give him too much credit for being this, like, conniving, manipulative personality. He's not. He's a little bit of a lunatic and a good one. And he found a way to take his personality and put it in a forum that helped explode it. And it just worked. You know, you sometimes put two chemicals together and they form just an incredible combination and it explodes. That's what him and radio and a big microphone did. Well, and, th and that's the thing. ESPN didn't put him under contract because of the time he put in with the Indiana program. Right. It's because he's entertaining and he's informative. And look, you know, I think a lot of the best, especially color commentators in the business are a bit of a, of a lightning rod for criticism because what is their job? It is to put their opinions out there. Color they're, commentary. They're not doing it's not called black and white commentary. No, they're not doing play by play. They're right. not telling you what right. you see. They're, they're telling you what they see. They're giving opinions on the game. So he's really good at it. Yes. And whether you hate him or love him, he's good at it because if you the reason you hate him is cuz he's good at it. It's the people that mean nothing that you don't care about. He elicits a strong emotional reaction. He's a Hoosier. He wants what's best for Indiana. I got to take my daughter to camp, so we got to wrap this thing up. Well, it was a blast, and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it half as much as we did. Of course, float us your comments. We'd love to hear what you thought after all that. Did did your mind change at all on Dan Dockage, for better or worse? Follow us at, on Twitter at, at Hoosier Hysterics, H-Y-S-T-R-C-S. Uh, no vowels and hysterics at the end there. Email us at HoosierHysterics at gmail.com. We will have another one for you on Tuesday morning. And how about this? Hey, would you...
you let like one Indiana fan in your life know about the show? We've never asked them to do that oh, before. Yeah. If everybody out there just told one person about us that didn't know before, then like maybe three or four more people would listen to the show. And I will tell you, the support that we get online on Pigs and on Twitter is humbling. Yeah. It is. It is. Some of the private messages are pretty incredible, too. It's just amazing. So thank you all. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this. We'll have another, another one for you next week. Powered by Beegs. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Warren and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 